0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Remarried with Travis
1: and Ashley
0: and this week we're talking about the 1992 classic Candyman again again. So if we were to do this movie five times in a row, is he going to come kill us?
1: Oh, God. Don't make me have those thoughts before I go to bed tonight.
0: So on Ho- Prim's Hood Cinema, he brought up a very valid point. Like if I say it four times in a mirror, right? And then I go away. And then like a week from now, I go back in the bathroom and say it one more time. <laughs> does it still count? When, when when does it reset?
1: That's a good question.
0: Is it like for life? <laughs> like you can't say it five times ever in life? Should
1: I do that? Should I do that for the show? Should I hold up a mirror right now and do it?
0: Man, Isabelle are going to go in another room when you do it
1: why it would be me that that gets it not you no. i just i've never done it before no
0: he pretty much killed everybody so
1: oh right they went back and said and he killed the baby too yeah, all did. right maybe not this time <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But when, what's the, what's the, how long is it good for? Like, what's the expiration date on your Candyman's?
1: You know what? Prem brought up a lot of good questions. Like if he's a ghost, why is he able to do all the things that he does? Like sleep, be injured, die?
0: <laughs> yeah. Why was, why was fire a problem for him? Yeah.
1: I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> and why was he having a nap? <laughs> it doesn't make sense
1: but today we are also going to this this was something that kind of bummed me out about the past year because obviously travis and i pick and choose what films we're going to cover and i was hell bent on discussing the 2021 sequel because i fucking love that movie still do um and we just never got around to it it really bummed me out and i remember saying that we were not going to talk spoilers as much as we wanted to we wanted to give everybody time to see it and we were going to cover it in the future and then we just never did I went back and re-watched it recently and was like this is still a good fucking movie
0: yeah it is, it's good I know it, it caught a lot of grief uh, when it was released and probably still does but I, it's, I forget it's very review very it was divisive. We watching, but they were pointing out some things and I thought shit I need to watch that movie again because there's so much stuff that happens in the background that I never noticed before
1: I think we were watching um, Dead Meets Kill Count on yeah. it yeah and he did He he's, he's very good about seeing things that sometimes i miss as a viewer um things that i i don't catch and so yeah going back and watching his his kill count today i was going holy shit i need to go back because i didn't catch some of this stuff you know and i've watched it several times now
0: yeah but before we get into all that let's give the candy man his due let's talk about tony todd's Candyman first
1: <laughs> of course that's why we're here
0: <laughs> so what do you think about candy man
1: I- It's in my top five horror
0: movies. I think I've said it five times. We're all screwed.
1: (laughs) It's in my top five horror movies of all times. Uh, Of all times. (laughs) Kids. I can't talk. Of all time. <laughs> Anytime somebody and, and we get asked this a lot what are your what are your top five movies? What are your top five movies? And I, I always list the same ones, and Candyman is always in there. Um it was one that I saw I was young, like young, young. So if it came out, did you say 92?
0: Yeah, I think that's that right. would have
1: put me at nine years old. So I'm pretty sure I didn't watch it when it came out. I think I had a family member rent it, and like I said, I couldn't remember all of it. I remembered bits and pieces pieces from it, but what little I did see of it as a kid, I knew from then on that that movie was fucked up, and I don't remember when I watched it again. I was probably well, well into young adulthood, but it is. It's like, even going back now, I don't think that it gets the real credit that it deserves. It is a very fucked up movie. It's very disturbing and and sad. It's a very tragic film, and Tony Todd has stated more than once that he liked likens it to phantom of the opera and i can absolutely say see that or frankenstein even yeah
0: i, I well I don't know. phantom of the opera yes i don't know so much about frankenstein
1: it's i consider frankenstein to be a very tragic
0: well it story. is but it's in a different vein than this yeah
1: i'm just i'm just saying you know in terms of a movie where you sympathize with the monster
0: yeah i think for me well so the first time i watched this i was a, i was an adult and Probably the first couple of times that I saw it, I only saw parts of it with you. And to me, it was always just sort of, it's just a slasher movie. You know, it's just a horror movie. It's its a little bit, it's different. It's a different take on, uh, you know, your movie monster. It's not like a, a Jason or a Hal, or a almost at halloween a michael myers type of monster but i think after we watched it for the show and i had to sit down and really pay attention to it and then in watches since then it's less of a horror movie to me and it's more just sad you know Mm -hmm. Uh, overall like daniel robitai's story is is a tragedy like shakespearean almost and then helen's story almost is too Mm-hmm. And so that's to me. It's yeah. It's just sad now. It's not even the horror doesn't really register. I guess
1: with Helen, it's I feel like it's a little bit more complicated because on one hand, you could say she almost gets exactly what she deserves. You gonna
0: say she brought this on herself.
1: Yeah, because she's exploiting the tragedies of what these people go through for her own benefit and her own gain. Not to mention she's just doing the nosy white lady thing. <laughs> you know? And so it's hard to sympathize with her in that way, but then the flip side of that is everything that she goes through because of what's happening to her. Like, you get the idea that she was probably also a student of Trevor's at some point, much like the way his affair with Stacy is later, and there's never any doubt that she loves him as her husband, you know? You see that throughout, but he is just constantly at every turn, basically, basically slapping her in the face, you know, and then she's going through this very big thing and she's going through it alone. You know, she doesn't even have the support of her husband. I would like to think that if I was going through something very big like that, you would have my back at least, you know?
0: Well, if you came in and said, hey, I'm going to go down to Cabrini Green, I'd be like, no, (laughs) no. That's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that.
1: Yeah. but If you go
0: down there, you're on your own by.
1: But you wouldn't automatically throw me under the bus if it looked like I murdered somebody either. You, I would think that you would know me well enough to go, no, she didn't do that. That's not the type of person that she is. I
0: know you well enough to know that you would have made me help you hide the body. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what i'm saying yeah i know what you're saying and it just sucks that she's going through all of this alone you know and i mean even her best friend she loses at one point so she's she's left completely alienated and it, you know Candyman at one point tells her all you have left is my desire for you
0: and that's not wrong really at the no end.
1: like she has she has nothing left to lose at that point but instead chooses to sacrifice herself to save the life of anthony or baby anthony as it were at, at this
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I I think in the beginning, yes, she is using this story and this I was going to say community, but it's really a building. I guess a building could be considered a community sort of to further her her own needs or desires, her career um, or whatever as a grad student. So there is that. But I don't know, maybe halfway through the movie, then it's she's it's more curiosity, I think, that is driving her forward. And at the end, she's she's trying to help. Right. If nothing else, like you said, she's trying to save baby Anthony. It's, but yeah, if she hadn't decided to go down there in the first place she could have saved herself a lot of grief well she still would have gotten a divorce because that guy was a (laughs) shitbag like like no matter what happens that dude was gonna be a dick but everything else yeah she could have saved herself a lot of trouble if she'd have kept her nose out of it
1: right um there seems to be a lot a theme with a lot of stuff that i'm watching here recently is people who don't know when to leave well enough alone because and and i'll go into uh the, the recent sequel you have characters who are finally finally looking at a situation and going yeah no I'm not having any part of that you know
0: right except for Yaya's character right and it's the same thing he he kind of follows he he does exactly the same thing that Helen does he's using the tragedy that happened in this community to further his own career yes and sticks his nose in other people's business where it doesn't belong so
1: I would say on the surface yes but I feel like the more you dig into it, and and this is, to me, what makes the original almost a more fulfilling viewing experience this time around, is, I don't know, and maybe maybe I'm alone in this opinion, but the way um, Anthony's story concludes it almost feels like this was fate. This was always meant to happen to him. He was going to die one way or the other, whether it was that bonfire or whether it was carrying on the Candyman legacy.
0: Yeah, but what I'm saying is he he went down there because he wanted his art to sell. And he latched onto something that he thought he could get inspiration from and sell more paintings. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was a very, his introduction to it was very selfish. Yes. That's the whole, he was not interested in it until he thought it could further his career. Well, they just the same thing Helen did. Yeah,
1: they did have the one scene where they're talking about the, these people who got murdered, but they happened to mention his name and his art in the news story, and that's all he can think about is, they said my name.
0: Yeah, that was the one thing he latched onto, was they said my name. Mm-hmm. And even the people around him were like, really, guy?
1: What the fuck? Like, that's, they're looking at him like, what the hell?
0: That's yeah. what you took out of that? Yeah. They said your name? So, I don't know, I feel like they're, they're very similar, those two characters.
1: I can see that. And one thing I love about that one is its callbacks to the original for source material because they didn't at any point say we're going to take this film and make it better or we're going to try to outdo it in any way and in some regards they did I will give it that but I feel like they paid the proper respect to the source material and I I thought that was really important I loved the little callbacks
0: I think I think the way Nia DaCosta handled that stuff she did a great job Um, I like all the mirror imagery thing but and that's that's a, that's a thing. Uh, that's one of the reasons I feel like I need to watch that movie again. But that's not really what we're here to talk about.
1: <laughs> no, I just said that today we were going to include those spoilers because we right. neglected to talk about them last time. Right.
0: Well, we didn't feel like we could, but um, yeah. So watching it again, just to kind of, to feel it out, like how, how does it land now? It's, yeah, it's, it's sad. I, I appreciate the music more. I think David Glass did a great job.
1: Philip Glass.
0: Philip Glass. <laughs> I got his name wrong when we recorded this the first time, too. So, anyway, moving on. <laughs> I think this, the score's good. It, it stuck with me this time. Because I remember when we watched it the first time and you were like, oh, the score. And I was like, it has one. Mm-hmm. But now if I hear it, I will recognize it.
1: It feels like it's a character itself. It's it's very haunting and moving and sad and beautiful. It and- really
0: is. Um, I, it's, I like the story. Again, it's just a sad story, but it's solid. Now, this was taken from a Clive Barker story. And I, I know we talked about that the first time around. Um, and they did change it because this was supposed to take place in England. and. And when the director
1: Bernard Rose,
0: yeah, that guy, when he when he got a hold of it, I guess, which is funny because he's he's English or British, yeah, however you choose to identify. also but i guess he was of the opinion that people in america won't watch a movie about uh the british class system in the in the yeah in there so (laughs) like we need to put it in chicago and make it about race and gentrification well gentrification is the new one but
1: Uh, there there were still yeah there was there were still themes of gentrification in the original
0: but i don't know I, i think i would have watched either one but i think that this one had us a different impact i think this film the subject matter has a different impact for me as an american um than something, than th- something about the British class system would have. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's closer to home, as it were. So, what do you think? <sighs>
1: I've heard people say that they don't feel like the original Candyman is a scary movie. I do. I do still feel like it is scary. There is so much, and and I'm going to use this word again, there's so much that is haunting in it. And I will say that probably 90% of that is Tony Todd's performance because he is, I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little controversial, okay? He gives me pinhead vibes on some level that world weary but regal dominant I don't know it, it, it's hard to, to put into words but same same vibes I get from that character maybe Daniel Robitaille I mean not maybe he obviously is a more tragic character than um, Elliot Spencer is but they have that same vibe about them I guess maybe it's the way they walk into a room and just kind of glide <laughs> maybe I don't know
0: I think yeah no I'm gonna have to disagree either i i don't really there's nothing about it i find scary right but i think that now i've seen it enough times to kind of know when tony todd's going to be on screen and i think <sighs> it's almost like dread do you know what i mean mm-hmm. not fear it's not like nail-biting fear it's it's it, it is it's sort of a feeling of dread when you think that he's coming in that's because, very
1: excellently put
0: because you know that something some someone's about to die probably and there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop it do you know what i mean yeah so
1: I, think I wow you really hit the nail on the head i think that's that's a very excellent way to look at it that there there is just that feeling of dread
0: it's it's impending doom yeah i think like you know he's coming you know you can't stop it Mm -hmm. i think that's it i think that's it for me i guess
1: i guess the reason i say still scary is because of the parking garage scene alone that that part Still gets me where I live It doesn't matter how many times I watch it How many How much I know the lines verbatim Something about that voice Sing-songing her name Freaks me the fuck out
0: See, yeah
1: It gives me chills from head to toe Every time I hear Helen
0: It, okay, I agree. I agree with you that it's great. I disagree still with the the fear part of it. It's to me when that when that scene comes up and you see the silhouette of him standing there. You know, he's backlit by the I guess Chicago sky, and you can't really see features in you know in the parking garage. <sighs> It's more like something inescapable is standing there. Do you, I don't know. It's just, it doesn't feel the same. as just, I'm scared. So I don't know, but I, nobody else could have done this role. No. So we need to give Tony Todd his due. I don't think anyone else could have pulled it off. No. So.
1: Because she also has this thing where she's completely entranced enthralled by him, almost like Dracula a little bit. And you get that too. He's just, ah, uh, Again, I, I'm, I'm not going to be able to put it into words properly. You get it.
0: Uh, so the, the fact, okay, so she was hypnotized. Rose had hypnotized her to get that like unfocused gaze and she cried every time. And so to me, the way that appears when I see that, it's like paralyzed with fear or terror even. Do you know what I mean?
1: I do. But- like
0: if she was just looking, then it would be like, I don't know, is she on crack? But when you add the fact that she starts crying every time he shows up, it's almost like she's so terrified that she can't move.
1: She is, but... But they have actually stated that there is a love story in there too. I know that you don't buy that or pick I, up on that. But I
0: agree that that's what they said. I'm just saying how it appears to me when I watch it.
1: Yeah. So you guys know that I'm I'm a sucker for a dark love story, and this is one of those. You know, is she the his long lost love re- reincarnated through the through the centuries or whatever, um, or or decades? I'm not. <laughs> but I don't know. There's that unspoken thing between the two of them that I. I can't quite articulate that you you do feel that desire for her and on the other side of that you get that i don't know kind of like there there's that one scene where she finally just gives herself over to him finally and just that that release i don't know it's 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 hard
0: so the interesting thing about this is that we keep you keep using words like release it's non-sexual
1: no yeah no it's it's not about sex this at is, all
0: yeah well i mean if somebody has never seen this movie and they're just listening they'll be like wow well, well it's time to get to the fucking, but no, 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 no. Uh, yeah. There's no bow chicka wow wow going yeah. on in this movie. No,
1: no clapping of the cheeks. <laughs> this is
0: it's a it's not not platonic or whatever. It is a it is it's it's a love story, but it's not based on the physical, right? Necessarily, mm-hmm. so it's interesting. It's in that yeah. They, that's what I said. It's
1: hard to describe
0: to, that they. Well, I mean it. Any, if you if you tell the same love story now, they're going to go there. You know what I mean? At some point, they're going to be pressing the flesh. Because I don't think they know how to tell a story now where you they convey that sort of emotion without it. But in this one, I feel like they did a good job of telling a love story where the attraction wasn't purely physical. What do you think?
1: It wasn't, I don't know, to me, it wasn't about attraction. It wasn't about anything sexual. It was a feeling, a longing.
0: Well, that's what I'm saying, though, yeah. is that they tell that story without a sexual element. And I just don't mm-hmm. know that they would do that now.
1: I don't know. I think we're a lot more restrained than you give us credit for. We're not... Nobody's talking about watching Euphoria here, so... <laughs> no, no.
0: It's it, That seems to be the common thread in movies. I mean, now, is that if they were gonna...
1: What movies are you watching? <laughs>
0: What movies are you not watching? <laughs> but it just seems like they always have to put that in there. And this one, it was very detached, I guess, from the physical elements almost completely. I think maybe what I'm thinking of is that it seems like all the other horror movies that came out in the 90s and, and even the 2000s, they always had to put sex in it. Mm-hmm. And so that it stands out to me that in this movie, it's not there. Right. For that matter, even for what I think some people would still classify this as a slasher because you do have the boogeyman, right? Um, there's very limited nudity. Actually, we were talking about it off mic and you, I was thinking there was no nudity in it at all. You had to remind me that there's actually a little bit in here, but it's so brief and the way they do it, it doesn't even really stand out.
1: Well, see, that's why I don't think this qualifies as a slasher film in any way. Because that the TNA and the gore for gore's sake is part of what makes a slasher a slasher. And this one feels like a much more mature, grown-up, tasteful movie. There was a lot of care that went into the making of it. And I feel like they were really trying to tell the story above all else. Yeah, The, and, the gore was just secondary. And the
0: fact that this came from Clive Barker and doesn't include some of those elements is also surprising. Yeah. Because he does not shy away from the sex
1: no no not at all
0: it doesn't it's not always reflected in the movies but in his books he -hmm. he he goes all in
1: yeah for sure
0: so anyway
1: but yeah maybe it's just me i think that this was probably one of the one of the best horror movies that came out in the 90s i know the majority of people are gonna say scream or they're gonna say silence of the lambs even but for me this is this is my favorite one of the 90s hands down i and i would say they've not made anything like it since but i think the 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 sequel did a damn fine job of of living up or filling its shoes yeah
0: yeah i mean out of the the movies that you just listed i would pick this one above Scream and Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. I mean if I had to watch one of them, if I had to pick one. But I've been pretty pretty clear with I'm not a fan of Scream. Right. Um it was just to look how cool I am (laughs) with my meta references and shit movie. Um and Silence of the Lambs, I don't know. I just never did really
1: it's pretty fucking great. It's a
0: good movie. I really like
1: yeah. I really like Silence of the Lambs. It's just not for
0: me. (laughs) Um but yeah, this is this one's great. It's definitely one of the best ones that came out in the 90s.
1: For sure. So, does it still hold up to you? I
0: think it does. Yeah. It does for me. Um, I think it's, it's a solid... It's a... Man, I can't believe I'm about... To, it's a timeless story.
1: Yeah, that's fair. It is.
0: It, it's going to be relevant no matter when you watch it. That's fair. If you watched it when it came out, it was relevant. If you watch it now, it still is. If you watch it 10 years from now, it probably still will be. As far as like the social issues that they reference, they were relevant then. They're still relevant now. And sadly, they probably still will be be 10 years from now. So I don't know. It's like Matthew McConaughey said, I keep getting older, they say the same age. This movie's always going to be good. It's always going to be relevant no matter when you watch it.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: And there's not a lot of movies that can hold up like that. No. I mean, if you look at the imagery and what they wear and the cars they drive, yes, it's going to be dated, but the subject matter is going to hold up no matter what. Right. Unless we get better as humans, let me rephrase that. Unless we get better as humans, it's always going to be relevant. What do you think?
1: Well, like I said, it's it's in my top five for a reason. It's, I think it's an important story. I think it's an important film. Um, and it's just so fucking good. It's so good. The story is great. The acting is tremendous. The score is top notch. It's a film that sticks with you hours, days, weeks after you watch it. I think that is why it is still held in such high regard, you know, that we here recently wanted to tell more stories about it. I think that it's like you said I think it's timeless and I don't think that it gets the credit that it deserves.
0: Yeah. And he, Tony Todd even loves it. Saw that in an interview with him today. He was like this this movie's probably going to be referenced in the first three lines of my eulogy and I'm good with that. Yeah. So, you know, which is fantastic cuz a lot of a lot of I guess lead actors if horror, if they've done a horror movie they tend to want to separate themselves from it. They want some distance. Right. Well, but he he fully embraced it.
1: He brought gravitas to that part that I don't feel like a lot of movie monsters did.
0: Well, I'm going to say a shitty thing and I would tell you I would say that he I don't know how well-known he was as an actor when this movie got made, but his his acting in the movie gave this movie some credibility. Does that make sense? Yeah. It would not have worked. It would not have been as good. If you if you didn't change anything else other than him as Candyman, put somebody else in the role, it doesn't work anymore.
1: Like Eddie Murphy, for instance, if they had gone that route, Jesus well, Christ. Well, then Helen
0: would have been looking down at him the whole time. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> Well, I mean, that was the thing. They just said he wasn't tall enough, right. I just cast Kevin Hart. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> was that Was it a low blow? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but no, nah, he made, he definitely made the movie. For sure. I'm not taking short. anything away from any, from uh, the actress that played Helen. Tony Todd made the movie.
1: I agree. She, I mean, she was great in her own right, too. She really, she emoted certain things that she didn't have to say a word. You could see it in her eyes. And it, there's not a lot of actresses that would be able to pull that off, especially in this
0: genre. No, she's a great actress. All I'm saying is that I think with all the horror movies that I've watched because of you, <laughs> <laughs> if you don't nail the monster, then you don't have a movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter how good the supporting cast is. If you have a shitty monster or a... It just it's not gonna work out. So yeah, gotta give him all the credit for it. Yeah. So having said that, how was Yaya in his turn as the Candyman?
1: I wish we could have had more, if I'm being honest. Um You
0: really don't get much at all.
1: No, you get like maybe five minutes if that with him as the character. I don't know if they intend to keep going with his storyline or or continue with him as Candyman. Um
0: I think they should stop.
1: I don't feel like they have to. I feel like the movie was was impactful enough.
0: I feel like this movie is similar to the first one in that you don't need a sequel. Mm-hmm. So the first one, it they proved that they told the story right the first time. Yes. And you didn't need part two and part three mm-hmm. because they didn't get better. They just got progressively worse. Right. I part think, two's
1: not, not bad.
0: I think this one would be the same unless you get all the same people on board. I just don't see them doing a sequel and doing what they did in this one.
1: Well, like I said, I think they made a big enough statement with it. It was a very powerful film. Um, um, i do wish we had had a little bit more with him as the character though because i i thought he was great he uh i think i've said it before he has such a presence about him as an actor that everything that i've seen him in he stands out he he's got something so i i, I really am excited to see where he continues to go with his career because the guy was the guy's amazing i he owned that part of anthony i felt like
0: he did but i did not feel that way in the first part of this film because when you introduce him him as a character you've got this is who he is on the surface and below that it's just more surface (laughs) okay but he he builds as a character as you go through the movie. You mm-hmm. start getting some depth, um, and I do appreciate that. I just he was pre, he was very superficial at the beginning of the movie. Yeah,
1: but nonetheless, he was still magnetic as an actor. You I, and I'm not trying to say this. I'm I don't mean this in the way it's going to come across. I could not take my eyes off of him. What I and I, well, like I I said, not like that. <laughs> I mean, yes, that's fair. But no, I mean, he had a presence about him that you were just engaged in what he was yeah, saying. Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I'm not,
0: I'm not talking about him as an actor. I'm talking about the character that he played, the character mm-hmm. of Anthony. Um, very superficial character at the beginning of the film. Very sympathetic character by the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um Yaya did a good job. I would like, I want to see, see what else he can do. I mean, he's got some range. So I know we were talking about earlier. You think he needs, if they remake Spawn, it needs to be him. Oh my
1: God, God. I keep thinking I'm going to tweet about this and maybe somebody will see it, but.
0: See, we're on two sides of the fence here. You think Yaya could be Spawn. I think Michael B. Jordan would be a good Spawn.
1: I think that. Or
0: Winston Duke. He's big as fuck.
1: I think that he has a better presence overall than the other. Two actors that you mentioned, even though I love them too in their own rights. Have you seen us? Yes, many times. (laughs) And I feel like Winston Duke's a little bit more comedic. He is, and I feel like Michael Michael B. Jordan is just not quite angry-looking enough. Like, can he be mean? Mm. Yes, he can. But I just think it's something in the eyes. Yeah, yeah, gives more.
0: Maybe I don't know. I think we're gonna have to agree to disagree because I think he did a fantastic job as Killmonger in Black Panther. I'm
1: not saying he didn't. I I'm, think
0: he looked plenty mean.
1: I'm just saying he has. He's also Adonis Creed. He's that hero type.
0: Well, that's true.
1: That's the problem that I have. That's,
0: that is true. Whereas
1: Yaya can be a villain like Black Manta. He can be a villain as Candyman. He's got that air about him. Okay, that I'm he can
0: disagree with you there. I don't think. I don't think Candyman's. Necessarily can, a villain
1: well I you know what I mean I feel like he would lend himself better to that anti-hero role
0: I think that I think it there it, it. I think he's maybe he's better at the more dramatic roles, potentially. I don't know. Michael B. Jordan did a great job in Creed.
1: Either way, I want a fucking full-on rated R spawn film with everything that it's supposed to have in it, not for the purpose of selling toys to children.
0: Well, that's the reason they did it that way the first time around. It had to be PG-13 because we can't sell the toys if the kids can't watch the movie.
1: Yes. I want a full-on gore violent everything spawn you gave us a grown-up
0: deadpool you can give us a grown-up spawn
1: i want yaya as spawn i don't feel like i'm asking too much guys make it happen (laughs) anyway with all that being said let's reintroduce the episode of Candyman. it's coming in at our number four spot so winding down here thank you guys for being part of this and counting these down with us we hope you enjoy the episode take care bye
0: warning The following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, Dead and Married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show.
1: happy friday everybody and welcome to another episode of dead and married i'm ashley and i'm travis and today we're going to be discussing the 1992 gothic horror film candyman
0: so i've been i've heard it called a slasher but i don't really agree with that i don't either it's not a slasher it doesn't fit the bill like he's not a Freddy or a jason or a michael myers that chases people around with a knife
1: well he's also not following the standard formula of going and picking people off one by one until there's a final girl i mean we have people left at the end of the of this movie that should have been picked off, but weren't. So to me, yeah, it doesn't fit the normal tropes of a slasher. So we decided to cover this film this time because of obviously the new Candyman sequel being out a couple of weeks ago. And we went to see it and it just really invigorated my love for this movie. And so we decided to talk about it today. So this film is directed by Bernard Rose and was also written by him based on Clive Barker's short story, The Forbidden. It stars Virginia Madsen, Tony Todd, Sander Berkeley, Casey Lemons, Vanessa Williams and some of the makeup work is done by some Hellraiser alumni uh, Bob Keane and Gary Tunniclift for you Hellraiser nerds like me out there
0: so it, it says that it was I guess based off the idea of Clive Barker's short story but it's not that's not one I've read mm-hmm. I feel like I need to read that one because there's some other things that are part of this movie that I, I guess we can talk about in a minute but how far did they get away from Clive Barker's because it was set in Liverpool and it was about the British class structure right and Rose said no we need to do this in America and make it uh, about racial injustice
1: right and from what I understand the antagonist is also completely different to what we ended up with ultimately in this film
0: yeah, so it makes me wonder how much of the original story kind of got lost in translation. I'm not taking anything away from the movie, but if that's what it's based on, I feel like I need to go back and read the original.
1: Well, I feel bad because I have this book, but I'm already reading so much and listening to other podcasts and uh, audiobooks that I honestly just haven't had time to get around it, but I do intend to read it pretty soon myself.
0: And they were worried about making it this way. Didn't Rose send the script to the NAACP to make sure that they were going? Gonna be okay. Yeah, but he was very. There was a, he was he had some concerns about right. making this movie, and they gave they gave him the green light.
1: Yeah, because they said, well, it would be more racist if you didn't make this movie. I mean, we should be able to have our own boogeyman too, and that's completely fair. And to my knowledge, isn't Tony Todd still the only African American actor to portray a serial killer in a movie?
0: As far as I know, he is. And I think I don't have the interview in front of me, but they actually said, why can't the African American community have a freddy why can't we have a jason
1: right well okay now that i'm thinking about it i'm, I'm thinking about snoop dogg who did bones
0: i don't know several that that years counts.
1: later but even though he did play a role and it is another african-american monster to me it's not the same it doesn't resonate the same because tony todd obviously has such a presence about him and brought so much to this role that that's why we're still talking about this movie so many years later
0: and you know sp- speaking of talking about it we always go and look at other, you know, things on YouTube and interviews and all this stuff. And it's just not one that gets a lot of coverage.
1: This movie is critically underrated. Criminally, not critically. It's criminally underrated. I mean, if it's me personally, I've never been a huge fan of the big three. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love having Jason marathons and I love having Freddie marathons. Michael Myers, eh, you know, it's not one I I visit a lot. Um, I tend to stick more to the this stuff, you know, Hellraiser and Candyman and various others that are just not part of what's considered the A tier of horror films. And I don't think that that is fair, because this movie is so much more than most of the horror films that are around this time. I mean, the 90s wasn't a wonderful time for horror anyway, just because that genre had kind of died out at the end of the 80s. But you do definitely have some hidden gems in the 90s. I mean, shit, Silence of the Lambs, Misery, Scream, obviously, but they just, there wasn't as much a plethora of horror films in the
0: 90s. No, they they really didn't have a whole lot. And I don't remember the the quality of the horror films in the 90s being terribly high. But I think the part of the problem was that Candyman came out in 1992, mm-hmm. October 16th. And if you look at the top box office performance for that year, it was 54th. Mm-hmm. Right it's, Now, it made more money than a lot of movies on here that, that I guess are sort of still popular. But I think it was an unfortunate year to release that movie in order to make money from a financial standpoint. Because that was the same year that Batman Returns came out. Mm-hmm. Lethal Weapon 3, Sister Act, Home Alone 2, Wayne's World... Wow Lee of their own Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast Both came out that year
1: That's crazy So
0: granted They didn't come out Necessarily all at the same time But It it was a bigger year for movies It was a big year for movies Yeah And not horror movies It was a big year For action And animation Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a tough year To release a horror movie Right. However, one thing that these other movies didn't do is film in a tough location like they did. Mm-hmm. So there's a couple of different stories about how Rose ended up in Cabrini Green. One was that he went in and asked the Chicago Housing Authority, what's the worst place you got? And they sent him there. And then another one was that he they were out driving around and went by it. And he said, this is the place. So. Which is which doesn't matter. That's how it ended up. But it's interesting that it takes place in Cabrini-Green and with some specific stuff that happens later that I won't talk about until after the spoiler warning. But a good portion of the story is based on an event that happened still in Chicago, but it actually happened in a completely different project called Abbott Homes. Mm-hmm. Now, there's several articles written, one in 1987 and another one in 1990 by a guy named Steve Bogira, probably getting that name wrong. Uh, they're available on the Chicago Reader online there actually were published there. Um, and they're really good articles. I would recommend that anybody read them if they're looking for the history piece of this mm-hmm. um, that actually describes the murder and investigation or lack thereof of Ruthie Mae McCoy. Mm-hmm. And part of this was based on that. So it's just interesting stuff, but it kind of lends some credibility. Apparently Abbott Holmes was even worse than Cabrita Green. Mm-hmm. But Cabrini was located closer to, what do they call it, the Gold Coast and kind of a downtown area. Mm-hmm. And it was sandwiched between two high-end communities. So, it got a little more tension than the other ones that were way kind of out mm-hmm. of the way. So, that's the reason Cabrini made the news and the rest of them didn't.
1: And look, trying to look up the lore for this stuff, we also ran across a serial killer in Houston who was called Candyman. he was a pedophile and a child killer and stuff. But that has absolutely nothing to do with this lore.
0: Yeah. All they share was the name. They, yeah. I guess he he lured the children with candy and so he yeah. they gave him the name Candyman. But outside of that, there's he's got nothing to do with this story. Anyway, I said I said that they filmed on location and they did, but um, there's, again, sort of a discrepancy. I found a couple places that say they only filmed there for about three days. I found a couple places that said they were there for a week. Um, one said they had police with them when they were filming and another one said that they basically hired some of the gang members in the area as extras in the movie. Mm-hmm. So that gang would ensure their safety while they were filming and then another one said that the shoot was fine and then the sniper put a bullet through one of the film vans and no one was injured but you don't know what to believe there
1: you know what I'd like to see so they have these great long documentaries like they've done one on the Nightmare on Elm Street series they've done one on Friday the 13th series there's one on the first two Hellraiser movies I would love to see a fully comprehensive documentary on this film or even all three now two and three are not my favorites but but at least on this first movie, because it sucks so much that you can't hardly find anything on the making of this movie. And you go through things online trying to find these these different facts and history out and everything contradicts the last thing you read. You know, it, like for instance, Tony Todd's amount of bee stings, you know, you hear 26 times he was stung, 23 times he was stung. So I feel like we need some kind of documentary or something where we can get the real facts about what the shoot was like and where the inspiration came from and, you know, I, I'm an avid devourer of documentaries, so yes, please, somebody release that.
0: Yeah, because I guess they said that he was stung 23 times in one of them when they're talking about him negotiating a $1,000 a piece. For every beasting, but Eli Roth did a sort of a documentary called "History of Horror Slashers Part One," mm-hmm. and Tony Todd said there that he was stung twenty six times. Yeah, now honestly, not a huge difference between twenty three thousand dollars and twenty six thousand dollars.
1: Um, yeah, He's I'll still take got the other three thousand.
0: Right? Okay, <laughs> but either way, it'd be nice to have a tiebreaker, right? So I'm I'm with you there. Now they did not film the entire movie here, though. Mm-hmm. They filmed the rest of it in a, in Hollywood. Basically, right. but just the fact that they were willing to go there for it to make it to, to lend to it give some it some authenticity. Credibility. Well, mm-hmm. I don't know about credibility, but authenticity for sure. Mm-hmm. So when they're filming at the at the buildings, that is them. That's what they look like. So I think that knock is my <laughs> signal to shut up because that was our seven-year-old banging on the door. <laughs> our do you sweet got? girl. <laughs> what do you got, Ashley?
1: So. This week, guys, we have a treat for you because not only are we going to be covering this film, but since I have gone a couple of times this last week to watch the new sequel, we are going to give our first impressions, non-spoiler thoughts on the new movie, which we are very excited to cover.
0: Well, we talked about it for a second (laughs) in Deathgasm because you wouldn't let me get into it. (laughs) Honestly, the more crazy stuff I, that we see on YouTube and hear in other podcasts about that movie, I just, I don't know. I feel oh, like I, I need, just need to get it out.
1: It's been a time going through various reviews and in our various Facebook groups. And yeah, it's a lot. And we can probably honestly say we don't agree with the majority of them.
0: I just don't know that we've ever seen another movie where this, there are this many varied opinions of so
1: it. So polarizing.
0: And strong opinions. Yeah. People are getting really people are getting
1: ugly out there. It's ridiculous, yeah. So I mean everybody's everybody's entitled to their opinion, but the difference with me is if
0: But you don't have to be a dick about it.
1: Yeah. I mean you don't like every movie that I like, but I don't like start calling you an idiot, and I've literally seen people name calling each other because they don't agree with their opinion of the film.
0: Yeah. It's it's there's definitely some dividing lines. This world is crazy, (laughs) y'all. It's over a movie.
1: (laughs) I know. Shit,
0: it's a movie. (laughs) Anyway.
1: So with all that being said, let's jump into it. So we open with an aerial shot overlooking Chicago, and it begins with, and I'm not going to be able to praise it enough, the score by Philip Glass. I know he has has trashed this movie for many years, but my gosh, this is like a magnum opus of movie scores, in my opinion. And there's a lot of fucking good ones out there, but this one, to me, it's, it's unrivaled.
0: Well, and it's sad because... It is really good, and I I think that he's gotten less critical of it over the years.
1: Well, he's still getting a paycheck, isn't he? But
0: apparently he did it not fully understanding I think what the movie was going to be Mm -hmm. and in one statement that he made he felt like he had it had been misrepresented to him Mm -hmm. and when he saw it he was like I didn't write that music for a low-budget horror movie but as of 2014 he was still cashing the checks right so
1: and I wouldn't call this movie a low-budget slasher by any means no
0: it had a budget of again there's the hard details seem to be difficult to come by for this but somewhere between seven and nine million dollars for this movie yeah which it would be really low budget now.
1: Right and I mean it it was significant enough and memorable enough that they redid it for this new sequel and both iterations of this score are just amazing. Like I said you know most people want to point out the work done on Halloween which yes that's a good score but for me it doesn't invoke the same kind of emotion as this one does because it's obviously ominous but it's also sad and even a little beautiful. you know I mean it's I don't really feel like there's anything out there like it
0: no it definitely brings this movie to mind if you've, if you've ever seen it. Oh, yeah. But I don't know. I, I don't understand that some people seem to have an issue with having their name or whatever tied to stuff like this. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, you can get typecast um, as an actor. Mm-hmm. It's stuck in certain roles, but I don't know. I, there's been interviews with Tony Todd and Virginia Madsen both where they were cautioned, like, once you do this, they're always going to think of this. Right. Is this is going to be you forever. And they've both kind of embraced it.
1: Yeah. I, hell, I would.
0: So, I mean, Virginia Madsen even said, you know, when she gets recognized at an airport, this is what they recognize her for
1: right That's not such a bad well, I, thing. I don't think anybody's gonna go to her and be like hey I saw you in Highlander
0: she was in Highlander
1: it wasn't I don't think it was the first one maybe it was part two or something but yeah I remember there can't you... be
0: two there can be only one
1: <laughs> I remember you forcing me to sit through one of those movies and I remember she was in one of them because I was like hey that's the lady from Candyman <laughs> okay. so there you go
0: <laughs> but anyway I don't know. Like, if this is the thing that people know you for, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing.
1: Right. And Tony Todd, I mean, obviously, this isn't his only horror role. He did some great turns in one of the remakes of Night of the Living Dead. And, obviously, he did some really great work in the Final Destination franchise um, those are two that come to my mind immediately. But he's obviously been working in the genre on and off for most of his career. Well, but
0: he's, he's done like 200 movies. Really? Something like that. Wow. And there was an interview with him and he was talking about, was it Platoon? Mm-hmm. And he was in, he had, I, th- I think he did it after this one. Because I think after this one, he said he, he did all kinds of work trying to get as far away from this as possible. So he mm-hmm. didn't get sort of stuck, you know, you're a horror movie villain for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. But that everybody that went on to do Platoon just continued to work after that. That. So, right.
1: Well, there was big talent in that movie.
0: It just sort of moved his career along, but at the same time, when you hear his voice, you don't even have to see him. When you hear his voice, you think Candyman.
1: Oh yeah, his his voice is. But, I've never heard another one like it.
0: But the cool part is he's he's proud of it. Yeah. Seems to be proud of it anyway. When you, yeah. When you see him on interviews, he's he's all about it. He embraces this character, and I think that's fantastic. So speaking of which, I want you to imagine Donkey from <laughs> Shrek. As Candyman. No. (laughs) Because Eddie Murphy was their first pick for
1: Candyman. (laughs) No, I don't see it. (laughs) Shrek,
0: I'm looking down.
1: I'm making waffles. (laughs) I
0: just can't imagine him doing this. Because when I think of Eddie Murphy, you know, it's the golden child and Beverly Hills Cop. Right. And was it Vampire Brooklyn? (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) He's done some good movies, but he's done some shit movies, too. Yeah. And I just can't can't be afraid of Eddie Murphy.
1: Yeah. And wasn't Sandra Bullock considered for Virginia Madsen's role?
0: So, I think the way that worked out was that the director's wife or fiance or whatever was originally cast to play the lead role. Right. And uh, Virginia Madsen... was on to play Bernadette, the friend. Right. Mm-hmm. But then the Al- Alexandra Pick, that was her name, mm-hmm. found out she was pregnant, so she dropped out. So they moved Madsen
1: from Liverpool, right? Because they were going to shoot. Yeah. Well,
0: yeah, when they moved it from Liber- Liverpool to the states, mm-hmm. then they moved Madsen over to the lead role and decided they needed an African American actress to play Bernadette. Mm-hmm. So, but that's originally,
1: yeah, that's what I heard was that Sandra Bullock well, was considered.
0: She was the backup plan if Madsen couldn't do it.
1: Right. I can't picture that either.
0: So you would have ended. You end up with Doctor Doolittle, right, <laughs> yeah. and Miss congeniality.
1: That would have changed the tone quite a bit, I think. <laughs> that would
0: have turned it into a horror comedy.
1: Yeah, because she had—I think that was still in the time period where she still hadn't really made a name for herself yet. I don't know if she had done um, had she *Demolition done, Man* at that point.
0: Has she done *Speed*?
1: Well, uh, *Speed* was after Speed *Demolition movie, Man*, but not *Speed* the drive. <laughs> but *Speed* was definitely what put her on the map, and I just don't know that this role would have done that what *Speed* did for her. You know well, what I
0: mean? It would not have been the movie that it is had they cast those two, right? And it's nothing against either one of those actors. This is one of those movies where circumstances kind of all came together to put together a cast that really, really worked. Right. And had they gotten all their first choices, I don't think it would have worked out as well. Right. So.
1: And Tony Todd has... He has a really great background, like, as far as stuff where he could really showcase his talent. I mean, he did lots of theater, right? And he was classically trained, went to these prestigious schools,
0: and... I think it was the Rhode Island Conservatory.
1: Yeah, I mean, the man has chops, and you can very obviously see it in this movie. He brings so much to this character that I don't believe any other actor has brought to any other monster.
0: Well, what doesn't hurt is that Tony Todd's about 6'5", right. Eddie Murphy's five.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, emotionally, and we'll, and I'll point those out as we go, uh, these just little things that he does to further give that performance. And I've just never seen that before in my life in a horror movie, you know, unless you're talking Kathy Bates as Annie Wilkes in Misery, you know, because she obviously completely unhinged for that movie, but you just don't see that in these kind of B movie horror horror films, you know, so I, I really think he brought it.
0: So this is going to sound weird coming for me, but I don't put this in the B movie horror category. (laughs) So you tried to pick a movie you thought I wasn't going to like so that we could have that difference of opinion thing, but I actually liked it. So (laughs) we got way off track. We
1: so did. Opening
0: shot and score.
1: (laughs) So once the credits are finished, we get a voiceover from Tony Todd And he knows how to open a movie because he says, They will say I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for, if not for shedding? With my hook for a hand, I'll split you from your groin to your gullet.
0: So groin to gullet. That's a quote from, it's either Hamlet or Macbeth. I can't place it. It's not worded the same way. Mm -hmm. But that's got to be a Clive Barker thing right there.
1: Well, oh, never mind. I'm thinking of another line that's in the book. Uh, Sweets to the sweet. That's... Another one that's featured in Shakespeare, but it's also in uh, the Forbidden.
0: Yes, yes.
1: But anyway, and then he finishes that voice over with "I came for you," and it's right going right over as Helen it, over her. I don't know. It's it's weird. It's hard to explain. But her voice, her voice, <laughs> her face comes into frame while his while he's saying that, and it's just like you already know the implications there that he's there for her, and it's just very haunting and creepy, just right from the jump. So Helen sitting in a classroom and she's being told of this urban legend of Candyman. and go on the urban legend basically this girl's babysitting and this guy that she really wants to bang
0: <laughs> comes over Which just happens to be ted Raimi.
1: <laughs> i know do you see ted Raimi as a okay, bad boy because i don't
0: <laughs> he didn't die right he gets killed in every other movie he's in and usually fast ah.
1: Maybe I don't know about the Evil Dead he, series. He either
0: gets killed or he is playing a monster and he's in a yeah. costume and he gets killed.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, I guess I guess so, Ash did kill.
0: <laughs> congratulations, Ted, you survived. <laughs>
1: but anyway she asked him if he's heard this legend and he says no of course and she tells him about it basically if you say his name in a mirror five times he'll appear behind you breathing down your neck now i get a little confused because it seems like the, the urban legend is different from person to person which i guess is true to form that's the way urban legends work but i've heard sometimes you have to have the light off before you say his name in the mirror other people have not had the light off so i don't i don't know about all that but at any rate they go upstairs and standing in front of the mirror. She's got her top off and he's all copping and feel. And they start saying, he starts saying Candyman into the mirror and stops at four. And she says, well, nobody ever got past four. And I'm like, I wouldn't get past one. <laughs> like, you're not convincing me to do that. So, and the other thing that I find funny is how is this a turn on? Like, she's getting so, like, hot telling him this story. And I'm like, chill. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, for one, like the horror stuff, but I don't know if I get all, you know, please come fill my boobies while I tell you about murder.
0: <laughs> you know, if Ted Raimi was standing behind you in a leather jacket.
1: I wonder now, what happens if you say Ted Raimi into a mirror five times.
0: I have no idea. It What's
1: in my fruit salad?
0: He comes back to life? I don't know.
1: Anyway, so she tells him to go downstairs and says that she has a surprise for him. So he goes downstairs, grabs a beard. He's sitting there like kind of giggling like he can't believe his dumb luck, which same. And for some reason, she says the name the last time and turns the light off. And then we see Candyman appear behind her and we cut away and we don't actually see her death. But what we do see is Billy look up to the ceiling and there's blood starting to accumulate on the ceiling of that room. We transition transition to Helen as the student is telling her about it. They finish up. Helen's kind of walking down the hall and she's laughing to herself. So she obviously thinks the story is bullshit because she and her friend Bernadette are writing a thesis about urban legend. Now we go into a room where Bernadette is also interviewing a freshman student and he's telling her this Really weird story about a uh, somebody roasting a kid, which, I mean, wow. <laughs> I don't guess I've heard that one.
0: but Yeah, I've heard the one about the hook guy, you know, that goes after kids when they're parking. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Bloody Mary, which is basically Candyman. Right. Never heard anything about rotisserie children. <laughs>
1: Anyway, so they wrap up their interview, and as the boy's leaving, he turns around and he's just giving Bernadette the hay girl. (laughs) So I thought that was cute, and there's something similar that's worked into the sequel. And so when we ever cover the sequel, which we intend to, I'll I'll bring back or I'll bring that up, that call back. I thought it was really cute. So Helen decides that she's going to go because her husband is a professor, I guess, at their same school. So she goes into his class where he's still in the middle of a lecture or at the end of a lecture and finds that what are they discussing? Urban legends. So she is very obviously annoyed and put off with that. And when the class wraps up, she goes to talk to him and he's got three or four students standing around him, including including one girl who seems to be clinging to his every word and you know doing the hair flip and the.
0: <laughs> so it kind of makes you wonder doesn't because she's still a student at this uh what was it University of Illinois yeah I think it is is what it was she's still a student there a grad mm-hmm. student but a student nonetheless was she his student is that how they got together
1: they never say it but I think that's a fair assumption because
0: he's to make. a creeper
1: oh yeah for sure and I mean nothing against Sander Berkeley but really yeah <laughs> Like, this guy has girls crawling all over him? I think not. But anyway, so she goes up to them and Stacy very aggressively inserts herself by wanting to introduce herself and shake her hand. And Helen, you know, we're not, we as wives are not dumb, okay? We can see that shit from a mile away. So she tries to call him out on it once the students leave. And he's like, oh, well, I guess she's madly in love with me. It's like, get the fuck out of here, dude. Come on. But he kind of tells her, that's not really what you're mad about, though, right? And she says, okay, well, you're covering this subject when you knew that me and Bernadette were going to be working on it. Why are you doing this? And he's like, well, I can't hold my lessons plans just for you. And I'm like, dick, dick, well, and he dick, he says there's dick. a
0: curriculum that he has to follow. But I don't
1: know. That just seems like
0: a dick move. They don't explain it, but I think the idea there is that if he basically hold, has a class talking about urban legends and debunks it all, uh-huh. then it's going to influence what she gets from the students when she tries to interview him, and that's right. why she She's pissed off.
1: And from jump, there just seems to be something so cold about their marriage anyway. You know, the dashing professor, oh, the lovely wife. Like it's very wash, rinse, repeat with them every day. So it doesn't surprise me that he wouldn't for a second be like, oh well, maybe I shouldn't do this right now because she's trying to cover the same thing. I think he was looking out for his own end. So not surprising So cut to a computer screen, and Helen is typing in all of her data that she's collected from the students. And and as she's doing this, the custodian that comes in the room to clean up after the students overhears what she's listening to in her tape recorder. And she's like, oh, you're working on, you doing something on Candyman. And she's like, yeah, have you heard of him? And she's like, yeah, like people are really afraid of him and stuff, but my friend knows more about it. And, she, and Helen asks her, well, you know, can I talk to her? And she's like, sure. So she goes out in the hall and she calls her friend Kitty. And obviously was it's funny because she refers to her as her friend, but as soon as she's like, Kitty, she's like, what? What do you want? <laughs> So she's like, Slay wants to talk to you. Um, I'm pretty
0: sure I've <laughs> answered some of my friends that way. What do you want? I don't.
1: Maybe maybe, you know, my family but not my friends. <laughs> So they bring Kitty in and she asks her what she knows about Candyman um, and the murder of somebody named Ruthie Jean. So she goes through and she talks about how Ruthie Jean was in her apartment and she sa- it's there was sounds like she was hearing somebody moving in the walls. And so she called the police and they didn't believe her. And then she called the police again. They still didn't believe her. And by the time the police actually took it seriously, Ruthie Jean had already been gutted with a hook. Helen finds this all very interesting and intriguing. And I'm already at this point going, okay, this has nothing to do with the paper that you're writing. You know, this, this is something that's going off way into left field. So we find Helen in the library looking through various old newspaper stories about the murder of Ruthie Jean, about the Cabrini Green housing authority.
0: So this is the part that I kind of wanted to talk about. This has got a historical reference. And one of the things that is interesting about this, and this is why I really need to read Clive Barker, short story is because for the first nearly half of this movie is based on the, the real life murder of Ruthie Mae McCoy. So she actually lived at the ABLA, which was uh, the Grace Abbott homes, which is one of like the most dangerous projects building or projects high rise in Chicago at the time. Apparently there were a lot of drugs there. The gangs just ran the whole place. And, and there was a designer for New York urban housing who basically looked at the plans for this and said, this is how you create a crime zone is by doing buildings this way. But in Anyway, so she actually called the police at about 8.45 and told the police, hey, somebody's trying to break in. And she told them that they threw the cabinet down. Like, we know it's a medicine cabinet, but mm-hmm. they didn't really understand. So they said they're going to send somebody over. So they show up. She didn't answer the door. Now, granted, they didn't show up till about 20 minutes after the call. Mm-hmm. And then there were some back and forth and a few days passed and they found, they went, finally did go in and found that she had been shot three times mm-hmm. and was dead there in her bathroom, but that the actual medicine cabinet was gone. Mm-hmm. So they found the one from the adjacent apartment that had been pulled out and they found it inside. Mm-hmm. They never found the medicine cabinet that got removed from hers. Huh. So the interesting thing about those buildings is the way they did them. They built a big dead space in there
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that was a pretty common practice in those. This was not the only time that somebody got murdered in the project's high-rise in Chicago by somebody coming in through a medicine cabinet. Apparently that was not an uncommon thing to happen. Mm-hmm. They would break in to rob the place. And there were crawl spaces inside the walls of these things. That's how they built them in the pipe chases. And that criminals would find two adjacent apartments and use that as a means of escape if the police raided it. Huh. So in addition to this very poor design, they were unsafe and really not secure.
1: And that pretty much leads us into our next scene because we go to Helen and Bernadette discussing her finds, you know, in her investigation. And she's basically telling her the same thing, like, but that her apartment, her own building... Was was also built as one of these high rises, and that the layouts are exactly the same. When they decided it would be more beneficial to turn them into condos instead of a housing project, basically all they did was
0: fix Blast it her up over the Yeah, box.
1: and that's just outrageous. Like that's pretty crazy. But she she wants to prove it to her. She takes her to her bathroom and she takes out that medicine cabinet, and in fact, yes, you can see right into the apartment right adjacent to them. So. They're laughing about it. And they're kind of screwing around, scaring each other and whatnot. And Helen says, well, you don't believe that stuff, right? And Because they, they, at this point, they've just been blowing this whole thing off. Very, very naively. So they decide, well, let's go for it. And so they start to say Candyman in the mirror. But they get to four. And Bernadette stops. Again, as you do. (laughs) But Helen, she's just got to do it that one last time.
0: You know why you don't say that? Because you don't want the reset period is in between. What if you say it four times? and then you accidentally say it the fifth time ten years later. Does it still count as five times? I don't know. Like, how does that shit work? I'm
1: not saying it one time. So, I mean, I'm almost 40. I'm not saying that shit. I
0: know, right? <laughs> so now you can't say the title of this movie because I'm pretty sure you said it five times already. Okay,
1: I take that back. I take that back. When I was in the fifth or sixth grade, some of my girlfriends and I, we were at restroom break at school. Very reminiscent to the scene in the new uh, sequel. And we turned off the lights and we said Candyman five times. And one of the girls freaked out and said that she could have... Or that she saw something glowing in there but of course we all none of us saw anything and we flipped back on the light and went back to class but I forgot I've actually done that before
0: <laughs> okay all right so it's been debunked there you go <laughs>
1: Anyway, so later that night, Helen's asleep in her bed and this dick, <laughs> Trevor, jumps out of nowhere and springs right in the middle of the bed on top of her. And of course she's already a little freaked out by what they were doing. So of course she's terrified and screaming. And yeah, I would be super pissed if somebody did that to me, you know, because as much as horror movies don't really affect me anymore, if you still have like that little period where maybe you're afraid to get that drink of water the middle of the night or go to the bathroom, you know, you don't want something like springing out after you. Well,
0: and the worst part about this is that the dude's pissed drunk. Yeah. And he admits to it. Yeah. He not care. Yeah. Yeah. So where's he been?
1: Oh, you know where he's
0: been. I know where he's been. He's been
1: with his coleslaw.
0: That's not going to take off. (laughs)
1: okay <laughs> so me and my me and my daughter have this running gag where if anybody is cheating in a movie or in real life, you know we call them their side piece, so <laughs> one day my daughter just throws out that's his coleslaw, and I thought that was so cute, and I've just pretty much said that ever since, so we need to tell her the fetch isn't gonna happen. Is it's that what you're happen. telling me? <laughs> Well, it happened for me. So there you go, guys. You heard it first. From now on, side pieces will be referred to as coleslaw. Thank you. Or you're welcome. Anyway, so the next day the girls decide to load up and drive to Caprini Green and we see that Bernadette is obviously very nervous and she has like pepper spray and stun gun and stuff that she's got in her purse and Helen is just completely like, why? Why are you acting like this? Why are you freaking out? And she's like, I don't think you understand or fully appreciate just how dangerous this place is that we're going to, which fair, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not going to go somewhere that I, you know, know is going to be a danger to me. Not, I mean, let alone my best friend, you know, that's that's just dangerous and very naive and arrogant thinking.
0: Well, this is something that the the, the director, Rose, actually wanted to explore. Because one of the reasons for coming to the United States is he wanted to sort of debunk that. Because he said those areas and cities like Cabrini-Green have almost a supernatural terror about them. Mm-hmm. Where people are afraid to even drive by there. Mm-hmm. And his conclusion. I guess, was that, yes, they're scary. Yes, bad things can happen, but it doesn't guarantee that they're going to happen. Mm-hmm. So he viewed the fear that people have of those areas as being a little bit irrational. Mm-hmm. So, And I think that's part of Bernadette's dialogue, is that irrational fear of a place that she's never even been to.
1: Yeah, but you know enough about it, and you've heard the stories, you know the reputation. So she wasn't wrong in her fear. I don't feel like it was irrational.
0: She had a valid reason to be afraid, but the level of terror, almost, probably... Probably not warranted Mm -hmm. because I mean, they go up there, they come out, they're just fine.
1: So I'm afraid by nature. That doesn't
0: mean I'm going to go driving through South Dallas at night. But
1: so, yeah, I'm afraid by nature. So this thing that Helen does next... Absolutely pissed me off because I've been in situations before, uh, for instance, um, amusement park rides, where I'm like, I, d- I really don't want to do this. And then you've got somebody right there forcing you, like, oh, come on, you big baby. You're not afraid, are you? And that's basically what Helen does to Bernadette, where she's like, fine, we'll turn around, we'll go home, and we'll write some crappy paper, and, you know, it's not going to matter or make a difference. And then she's like, well, you know, Trevor, Trevor would back out of something like. This And then Bernadette's like, yeah, that's true. He would. And so she kind of, she does this thing more than once throughout the film where she uses reverse psychology for her own means to get what she wants.
0: Well, and this is where it really illustrates that she's not a good person. And maybe I hadn't paid attention to the dialogue the first time I watched it, but she always seemed like she was sort of a sympathetic character. She's not. If anything, you feel more sympathy for Candyman by the end of this thing than mm-hmm. you do for her. She is one hundred percent in this for selfish reasons. She's not going in to expose anything. She's not going in there to help anybody. She just wants her A. Yeah. Right? yeah. That's it. And she, she'll do anything to get it. I don't know if it's, if it's narcissism or desperation or what it is, but she will stop at nothing to get number one.
1: Yeah. She's, she's exploiting the lives of this community for her own gain. And she doesn't
0: take it seriously at all. Right. At least not at this point.
1: Right. For me, I would have been fine just writing (laughs) a mediocre paper. And as long as I pass the class, you know, I'm not looking (laughs) to get famous off of paper or anything. So for me, not worth it whatsoever. And I'd been like, no, I'm going home. You want to go get yourself killed? Fine. I'm going home. So (laughs) I'm not, I'm not stupid. So they, they go to Cabrini and as soon as they get out of the car.
0: So did you notice they didn't park in a parking space? She just pulled off on the grass. Right, that's rude. You don't go to somebody's house and park in their yard.
1: uh We live in Texas. Everybody does that. How many pa- houses have you passed by where there's some frat boy that's parked his big F two fifty over in somebody's right in the middle of their front yard?
0: Well, usually it's their own yard. Yeah, but, but I've, seen other, park park else's yard like I've seen other people
1: do it. I've well, seen other people do it. Lots. Other people are rude. <laughs> yes, people are rude. So immediately they start getting cat called and accused of being cops. And
0: well, their main questions: Why are you here? Yeah. What are you doing here
1: Yeah. And Helen's like, okay, it's over. They think, they think we're cops. It's not a big deal. And she's like, I thought you just told us to dress conservatively, (laughs) but obviously this was part of Helen's plan. So I don't know. That's one of those things that I'm like, the audacity that she had to think, oh, well, nobody's going to hurt me. It's okay for me to come in here. It just boggles my mind. But they immediately start taking photos of their environment and snooping around around and Helen starts taking a picture of the graffitied line, Sweets to the Suite, that goes spans across somebody's apartment door. Well, the apartment uh, apartment owner jumps right out with a massive ass (laughs) Rottweiler, which is like one of our first early jump scares in the movie, and slams the door. And so Bernadette's like, see, bitch, I told you, like, you need to stop. (laughs) So, but that doesn't deter Helen, and she keeps going on with this investigation. Eventually, they make it down to the uh, room that would have been Ruthie Jeans, and Bernadette is, she's really, really trying to get her to stop this throughout this scene, like, like, trying to convince her that this is just morbid, and this is wrong. She's like, a woman died here. So, Helen's like, I don't care. It's, it's fine, you know. So, so Travis and I have this opinion with people in movies sometimes where it's like if they knowingly did all this stuff, they earn absolutely everything that they get.
0: Yeah, and that's why I don't see her as a sympathetic character. Like, she had every chance in the world to change course. Yeah. And she chose not. Right. For completely material reasons. So, well, I mean, maybe not right at the end, but I just, I don't know. I don't feel bad for her.
1: So, they get to the point in the bathroom where the medicine cabinet is, and as she opens the door, you know, the cabinet's not even there. It's literally just a swinging door that leads into another room. And so, Helen crawls through and is is making her way through these rooms in, you know, very graffiti and different things and she's snapping pictures of everything that she comes into contact with. There's a hole in one of the walls and she starts to crawl through it. And then we see on the other side of that hole, it's the holes a mouth in a mural of Candyman. So by the time Helen gets through there, her camera has run out of film. So she looks at this mural and she immediately starts to get a bad feeling. Like it, it becomes more prevalent later, but this is the first sign that this something's kind of fucking with her. And she also finds this pile of candy on the floor and goes over to look at it and then cuts herself because there's a razor blade in one of the pieces of candy. Now we have Bernadette still in the other uh, the other side of the cabinet. And this part always cracks me up that she, she needs to sit, but she doesn't want to sit on the tub. So she takes her jacket off and puts it on the tub. And I'm sitting here thinking, I don't want my jacket on that either. Like, couldn't you just stand till she gets back? No, so. Everything
0: in that apartment was nasty. <laughs> yeah. And, and back to the candy thing. Do you remember that when you were a kid? Because uh, I do.
1: Yes. so it was
0: the mid to late 80s when I was a kid. I was old enough to still want to go trick-or-treating, or right. young enough, rather.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And, like, that whole thing. I think it was, uh, like, commercials on TV, even, you know, check your candy when you go trick-or-treating. Cause... Yeah,
1: and I think there's a whole story behind that, because from what I understand, that never actually happened. Yeah. That was, just, like, an urban legend type of thing that I got started. And But, yeah, every year we would check or treat. got nationwide attention. Yeah, my parents checked our candy Every year,
0: yeah. Why are you smashing my Snickers bar? There ain't nothing in there. <laughs> right. Eat it. Give it to me.
1: My my mom never wanted us to take fruit either because she was always so worried. You know that there was going to be. I guess because it's more, it's softer and more porous. You know um that you could. I I don't know where you would. So how you think you would... somebody
0: could sneak a razor blade in that? <laughs> I don't. know Without seeing the big cut on the side.
1: <laughs> I don't know.
0: Like you're but gonna it. peel it. You're gonna find it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. That's just one of those things that I remember when I was a kid. I I don't know that it ever even happened. I guess I need to look that up.
1: They explored that whole thing in Halloween 2. There was a kid kind of near the beginning of the film who that actually happened to. And I think that was something John Carpenter wanted to run with. But ultimately, it just ended up being some weird little gag. But yeah, I, I remember doing that for years. I don't, I don't know that we really check candy with our kids so much.
0: Well, we don't get homemade candy either.
1: Right. I'm saying it's...
0: Like if the package is open, you throw it away. The
1: way trick-or-treating is now, you know, you go and you get it from shop fronts and stuff. You don't right. actually go to residences really anymore. So we've never actually checked candy. Don't tell anybody.
0: <laughs> you just told me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So anyway, Helen realizes that she's run out of film and she wants to get more, but Bernadette's like, fuck no, we're out of here. So they start like they're going to leave. But as they're turning around, Anne-Marie's standing there with her dog again. And she's like, what are you guys doing here? And they're trying to say, oh, you know, we're students. We're from the university. Here's my card, blah, blah, blah. And then we hear a baby cry. And Anne-Marie says, my baby. So they go, she goes like she's going to go back to her apartment. And Helen, of course, takes that as, we're invited to go.
0: Yeah, she never invited him <laughs> in. They just, she left, I guess she left the door open. So maybe that was the invitation.
1: Yeah. So they follow her into her apartment and we're introduced to baby Anthony. And basically, you know, he's the light of her life. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, but you've left been leaving this baby alone. Like, and I get it. I, I really do, and and I can understand that maybe she can't have she has nobody to watch her kid, and she still has to make a living. But I still just don't think I could do that—just leave my baby in that environment and go to work. Like there would have to be somebody, you know. I didn't
0: get the impression that she just leaves the baby alone in that apartment all day by itself.
1: Yeah, I don't know.
0: I didn't. I, I didn't take that. Maybe I missed something. But
1: anyway, so she's like, "What are you here to study?" She's like that we rob, we gangbang. She's like, "We're not all on drugs." Yeah, we're not all like the gang members downstairs. She's like, "I'm just trying to raise my child, you know." And then she says they're never going to get him. Um, she's and then she also goes on to say that anytime white people show up, it's not to do anything but cause problems and that they're not usually the nicest of people. Um, then of course they get back into what happened to Ruthie Jean. And Anne Marie says, you know, I could hear her screaming, um, but they're never gonna catch him. And Helen says, Who? And she says, Candyman. Well then we immediately cut to a dinner of Helen and Bernadette and Trevor and
0: Benjamin Franklin.
1: <laughs> Benjamin Franklin's Son, I don't, know. I don't but know. It's this table. He of... like
0: Ben Franklin minus the glasses.
1: <laughs> but it's this table of academics, and this—I'm not even sure what this guy's position is. If he's like the head of a department, he's just or... a friend
0: of the husband. Yeah, I think.
1: But his name is is Purcell, and he is inquiring about the girl's progress writing their thesis. And he's very condescending. He's an asshole. And so Helen is sitting there getting belittled. And Trevor, of course, is not speaking up like, hey, knock it off or whatever. Um, So Helen has to defend herself and says, like, we're gonna bury you. And um, he's like, oh, yeah. And Bernadette tries to calm things and she's like, look, we only went to Cabrini today. And then he's, Oh, Candyman country. And then he, Tells Helen, like, or asks Helen, he's like, you do know the story? And she's like, no. And then he's like, how are you going to bury me then? Well, he
0: openly laughs at her. Yeah. When she says no. Yeah. And then he descends to their level so he can but share his ultimate knowledge of Candyman's origin.
1: She's just scratching at the surface. She's just barely heard Candyman. How is she going to, Like, she, you know... she just
0: started yesterday. <laughs>
1: yeah. Of I course mean, she's not going to know everything damn, yet. Cut her
0: some slack. <laughs>
1: So he you pre- didn't go
0: put a key on a kite your first day. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> that guy's such a dick.
1: So he proceeds to tell her the legend of Daniel Robitaille um, that started in 1890. And he tells the story about how Daniel Robitaille was the son of a slave, but... The slave was freed, and he ended up making a fortune inventing a machine to mass-produce shoes. And so... Daniel had not grown up the way his father had, and he had gone to very best schools. He became a very prestigious painter and started painting, um, documenting people's wealth and their daughters. And thus gets in trouble when he falls in love with one of the girls he is painting. She gets pregnant, and then the father and a group basically hunt him down and lynch him. They soft his right hand. Is it his right? Hand? Well, they don't
0: lynch him, but yeah, they beat the hell out of him cut his right hand off and then they uh he says they busted up an apiary that was nearby because mm-hmm. that was handy and smeared honeycomb all over mm-hmm. and then the bees came and, and stung him to death but one thing he did not include in his story was the hook
1: right but they also set him on fire and then they spread his ashes over what would become Cabrini green yeah so helen is sitting there listening to this and she's very obviously disturbed but it you can hear what's happening through the story as if she's envisioning it in her own own mind and is very entranced and just you know seems very spooked by the whole thing so the next day helen returns to cabrini green to finish taking the photos that she was not able to get on her first visit and then she decides that she's gonna go revisit with Anne marie again only this time Anne marie's not there but there's a little boy sitting just outside the apartment named jake
0: yeah they called him one take jake yes because apparently he nailed his he nailed it every time first time right but then when they went to the premiere, he wouldn't watch the movie. It yeah, scared him too much. They just brought that. him in for his parts, and then he left again.
1: Yeah, I, I'm a head out. <laughs> like he heard
0: the he heard the opening music, and he was like, "No, I'm done." Once his name came on the credits, he left until his scenes came up. Right, like that's kind of funny.
1: But she does the same thing with him that she's done with everybody else. Like, can you tell me about Ruthie Jean? And I'm like, "Bitch, you've heard this story like three times now, have you? <laughs> like, what more do you need to know?" It's kind of like me watching YouTube videos on the same movie over and over. Well, maybe. this person will say something different. (laughs) So he is reluctant to talk to her because he's afraid that Candyman will get him if he opens his mouth. And he points out like, you're crazy for coming here by yourself, which fair. But then again, I can't see Trevor being like, sure, let's go together, wife. He would have called her crazy too. But she wants to know about Candyman and
0: Well, to convince him, she she tells him it's not real. The Candyman's not real, and compares him to well, not at this point to Dracula. No, no, no,
1: that's later when they're at the police station. But she she uses reverse psychology on him. And says, but you don't have to tell me anything if you're afraid. And of course, anybody that gets told that classically, it's like, I'm not afraid of anything. And he's a little boy. Yeah. And it's just wrong. I hate that she keeps doing that to people. But he leads her onto the Cabrini Green grounds. And they see this big pyre that's like for a a bonfire. And he says it's for a party. And they make their way to this outdoor restroom.
0: So it's surprising that they left that in because... From what I understand, the way it was written, of course, it was supposed to take place in Liverpool. And in England, they used to, I don't know if they still have it or not, but they used to have a holiday called Guy Fawkes Day, mm-hmm. where they built these giant bonfires. And they'd have the little stuffy guys, and they'd throw them on the pyre. And there was a whole history behind it. And I found it interesting they left it in here, because it feels out of place mm-hmm. to me. Because it's a, it's huge. You know, this massive thing. And so, just writing it off, well, it's for a party. Well, shit, what kind of party is that? You're going to burn the whole place down. Mm-hmm. So, interesting To me, that it's a clearly British tradition and they just left it in there.
1: Mm -hmm. So Jake tells Helen about a story that a friend of his told him about a little boy who was in the grocery store across the way who needed to go to the bathroom but mom as we do we (laughs) take too long to buy groceries and he needed to go really bad so she sent him across the street to the restroom that's over at cabrini green and the next thing she hears is his screaming so they send a big guy to go check it out and they say when he came out his hair turned white. Now, this was something that was stated in the be- the story with the babysitter at the beginning, that what the boyfriend saw turned his hair white. So, as soon as Helen hears that again, you kind of see that she's starting to put it together, like, is this real, you know? Um, we find out that the little boy was castrated in the bathroom. It's very... I, I couldn't believe that they showed that in the movie, to be honest.
0: Yeah, it was... It's one of the very few times you get to see... I don't know... A, it shies away from a lot of it right like you see him behind people and you see their facial expression and you may see a splatter of blood but they don't really gore hound this thing the way some mm-hmm. of the other movies did at the mm-hmm. time or your other slashers even though this is not it right yeah, a lot of the scary stuff in this movie is what you don't see
1: right and then he says the thing that always cracks me up can't fix that better off dead <laughs> so much so that i i use that a lot <laughs> Anyway, so as this is happening, she decides to go into that restroom to take photos. Why, again? Why you do that? I don't know. Um,
0: Cause she's dumb. <laughs> she's dumb. That's why.
1: So she goes into the filthiest bathroom I've ever seen, and I've been to rest stops throughout Texas, y'all. <laughs> they get pretty bad, but not anywhere nearly as bad as this.
0: Finger painting in there. <laughs> So, a lot.
1: <laughs> so she, she, she sees in poo smeared across a wall, sweets to the sweet, which again, like we said, was taken out of the forbidden and she starts kicking open stalls and then she gets to one stall that's got an arrow in poo pointing to the toilet and she kicks open the lid with her foot, which why? I don't know. But it is filled absolutely to the brim with bees. And from what I understand, they didn't actually put bees in this toilet. They put like some ceram wrap over the top of the toilet with some Vaseline and...
0: No, I've read that one. So it was was a real toilet, but it wasn't hooked up. There was no water in it. Uh Uh-huh. And they put Vaseline around the top to keep them from crawling out. Oh, okay. And so they had a bunch of those. They had to be at least 12 hours old. So they were big enough to look like adult bees, but they mm-hmm. weren't old enough to sting you yet. Right. Virginia Madsen was uh, allergic
1: mm-hmm. to bee
0: stings. Mm-hmm. And so right before the shot, they dumped them in there and then they used like some kind of a
1: little vacuum. super
0: gentle shop vac to yeah. pick them all back up. And yeah. yeah I've seen footage bees. of
1: that. <laughs> but as she's t- turning out to leave the bathroom, this gang walks in and she's... You know, she's trying to get out. She's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt anything. I'm, I'll just be going. Yeah,
0: I'm not trying to disrupt your business.
1: Yeah. And the guy comes up to her and he says, and this always makes me laugh because there's two different ways the line is said in the movie, but he says, I hear you're looking for Candyman, bitch. Well, you found him, and then just clocks her upside the head with a hook, and you just see this blood spray, and then we cut back to Jake standing outside the restroom, and you can hear that they're in there beating her. So, the next thing we well, Let's see, be honest.
0: <laughs> if she went in there... And all she got at with was a whooping. She's lucky.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's very they, true. Because could have killed her. Yeah. And I'm laughing because the next scene is one of, I don't think it's, in, it's intent was for it to be a comedic scene, but it cracks me up every time this lineup of guys and they repeat the line, which is read different. As I pointed out, we hear you're looking for Candyman bitch and the line delivery from the Second guy <laughs> this cracks me up so bad. He's very like stiff, like a
0: board, and he's just like, "Where are you looking for Candyman, bitch?" <laughs> like, <laughs> it was an interesting delivery. Like, I, I got, a, I get a <laughs> chuckle out of it every time I see it.
1: It's like, okay, guys, I
0: probably shouldn't. That probably says <laughs> something bad about me, but the way he delivers that line, I just, <laughs> it's, it's
1: like there was a casting call for Candyman. Like, okay, guys, we need you all to <laughs> line up and deliver this line. <laughs>
0: Yeah, there they just grab you know, four random guys off the street.
1: <laughs> right, and so it cracks me up. But we get to guy who's number five in line, which is the guy who beat her in the bathroom. And Helen, sitting there completely swole the fuck up in her eye, points out that that's the guy who looks like
0: Rocky Balboa at the end <laughs> of Rocky Four. Like she just went a few rounds with Ivan Drago. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny is that they didn't make the last guy in line say it.
1: Yeah, they didn't. So I was like, What about that guy? He's not <laughs> Like, they
0: just wasted his time. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So she asks our cop, Detective Valento, well, you know, how did you end up getting him? He says, well, we we swept the place. And she says, so is he the one who's responsible for, you know, the boy and Ruthie Jean? And well, actually, I don't know if she said the boy, but she asked if he was responsible for Ruthie Jean's death. And he says, oh, yeah, and we've known it, which is like, really? Really? But he says they they couldn't do anything because they couldn't find anybody to testify. But I'm like, but do you have proof at least? I mean, couldn't there have been a bigger investigation or something? It just didn't seem like they really cared.
0: So if they had no evidence, how did they know it was him? Number one. And if catching him was as easy as just, well, we're just going to go pick him up. Why didn't they do that a long time ago? Exactly. I mean.
1: I mean, we know why, but.
0: There had to be. (laughs) Something to tie him to that, or they wouldn't have suspected him in the first place, right? Right. So they had to have something. Yeah. I don't know. That was pretty lame to me.
1: So they leave the room and they see Jake sitting on a bench in the hallway. And he's got a little cup of something he's drinking. I don't know if it's coffee or hot chocolate or water, whatever. And he's sitting there straight pissed off. And Helen asks Detective Valero, as Travis says, (laughs) she says, well, what about Jake? Don't we need him? And he's like, no, we don't need him to testify because we have you. And like I said, Jake is very pissed. And she's like, Hey, you know, checking on him. And he's like, you lied to me. You said this this was going to be our secret. And she's like, well, Candyman's not real. A bad man took his name to scare people and basically is trying to reassure him that he's safe and nothing's going to happen. She
0: completely misses the point that Candyman was that guy. Mm -hmm. Not the one that we're waiting on as a a fewer. But in this little boy's world, in his life, that was the real guy. That's mm-hmm. the real thing. And she has no comprehension of how difficult she just made that little boy's laugh potentially. Right. Because there's no way that they didn't see him get put in the police car. So when he goes back, who do they think told him that it was him? Right. Why did he get picked up in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't think she appreciates the amount of complications. And, and he's what? 10 years old? Something like that. And she's that, oblivious. Yeah. yeah. Completely oblivious.
1: And now he's just dead set on Candyman's going to get him because he talked to her. And it always cracks me up because she. it's almost like she told him that Sam Santa Claus wasn't real because he immediately just like chugs this drink that he has. Like he's taking a shot or something like, man, it's been a hard day. Need to toss back a cold one.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And you're right. And this is the part here where she tells him it's like Dracula or Frankenstein. Yeah. Which is odd because... In both of those stories, there is a small bit of truth way, way back in the history. So, like, Dracula was based on uh, Vlad, Vlad Impaler, uh, and Victor Frankenstein, the doctor, because uh-huh. a lot of people say Frankenstein is the monster. Frankenstein was not the monster. Victor Frankenstein, the mm-hmm. doctor. There was actually a guy who kind of did some of that.
1: Oh, yeah. He didn't
0: actually make a monster, but uh-huh. he had a thing for digging up people and sewing bodies together. So, in both of those stories, there was a kernel of truth. Right. And interesting that she would use those two as examples.
1: Huh, I hadn't thought of that. So we get to Helen back at home and she's chipper, in a good mood, and she's prepared a dinner for her and Trevor. And this part just always pisses me off. I'm gonna start a We Hate Trevor club. You know, kind of like Ross started a I Hate Rachel Green club. I'm gonna start one for Trevor. That's what I'm gonna do. But anyway, he comes in and he sees that she's doing this, but it's like he can't be bothered. Like he seems so put off and annoyed with her And she's like, you didn't already eat, did you? And he's like, oh, I ate something. But (laughs) anyway, so the next day we have Helen and Bernadette walking around the college campus and they're going over the events, what happened to Helen. And Helen says the thing that we all know is painfully obvious. She says, sure, a black woman gets killed and nothing, but a white woman goes and gets beat up. And it's like pandemonium. And Bernadette's like, Yeah, but let's just be glad that he got caught. And as they're leaving the campus, going to an elevator, Bernadette shares with her that her camera that got smashed in this assault, the pictures were able to be saved by somebody in the the art department. So Helen's obviously very excited because she did put her life on the line for these photos. And thankfully, they were able to get saved. And now there's interest in her work, their work from some publishers. So after all of this stuff, this big ordeal, these girls feel like they got to win. So they now they can move on with their lives. So they part ways and Helen starts off to her car and 44 minutes in, this is when we get our Candyman in full view. And I've got to tell you, I've seen probably hundreds of horror movies. This scene chills me to my bones every time. It doesn't matter how many times I watch it, but... His voice in that quiet garage, and I'm not even going to attempt to say how he said her name, but goodness, that just make the hair on the back of your neck stand up type of shit. It's so fucking scary. And she, you know, she's still happy. She turns around and she's like, yeah? <laughs>
0: So it's interesting. Which would
1: not be my reaction.
0: <laughs> is that it's you know, it's kinda of back and forth of her loading her crap in the car at this scene and you see his feet walking towards her. And did you notice that at no point in the movie when he's walking does he his footsteps don't make noise? Yeah, yeah. They edited yeah. it out. And it was to make give credibility to the fact that he's a ghost.
1: Right. And almost like he glides, sort yeah. of. Yeah. I just
0: thought it was interesting that they included that detail.
1: Yeah. And he's so big and opposing. I mean, it's just That would scare me to death. And she, he says, I came for you. He says, You weren't content with the stories, so I was obliged to come. And Travis, you and I talked about this a bit earlier, because, how was it you were putting that?
0: Well, it's just there for a minute until you pointed something out to me. It seemed like there were some parallels between him and Freddy Krueger. In Freddy Krueger, you've got the whole thing where their belief in him, if they remember him, that's what gives him his power, right? And -hmm. and at one point, he even says that. And in this one, it's kind of the same way. His power is people telling the story. Mm -hmm. And if people stop telling the story, then he fades away, or whatever however that works. Until you pointed out that they didn't bring up that whole thing with Freddy until Freddy versus Jason. Correct. Which was all bullshit anyway. So so technically, they must have ripped that off of this movie,
1: right? So we don't know that Candyman actually killed the babysitter or the baby. This is just the urban legend. We well, think
0: that until you transition to that shot where Helen's hearing this story from a student that she's interviewing,
1: right? So you don't know for a fact that that murder ever happened, but it's the story that's getting passed around, and so we don't know that he's ever actually killed anybody
0: well we're an hour in he hasn't killed anybody yet because that we know of
1: and so now because she basically scoffed and balked at his story he's like well guess what now i'm gonna kill some people bitch <laughs> so it's everything that happens from this point out is a hundred percent her fault So I've got, I've got to tell you the way, and I I heard some uh, hypnotism was involved with Virginia Madsen, but I have to tell you the way her face goes completely blank and she just cries, like without making sound, she just has a tear, but she's just so entranced with what's going on. It's so beautifully shot. And so beautifully acted between both of them. It's, it's, it's an amazing scene. From the minute he walks in there to our next scene, it's absolutely an immaculate scene. But we cut to Helen asleep and she is awoken by the sound of screaming and she wakes up and notices that she is laying in a pool of blood. So she gets up and she starts to try to figure out where the screaming is coming from. So she enters a room where she immediately sees the head of Ruthie Jean's Rottweiler laying in the floor with a cleaver next to it. So... For some stupid reason, Helen opts to pick up this cleaver and follow the screaming. And she enters Ruthie Jean's bedroom and she sees Ruthie Jean standing in front of baby Anthony's crib covered in blood. And like you would be, Ruthie Jean is just hysterical, just screaming. And I really, really hate that scene. I don't know that it bothered me so much until I became a parent myself. You know, it was always just like, oh my God, this lady's freaking out. But now, it's like, I can see that, I can understand that, and that would probably be my reaction, too. But... Helen gets her attention and immediately Ruthie Jean flies at her, and attacks her. And they, there's a scuffle. They're rolling around on the floor and Ruthie Jean pins her down to the ground and Helen hits her in the shoulder with the meat cleaver. And this always cracks me up because then she gets the upper hand and flips Ruthie Jean to the floor, holding the cleaver over. She's like, now stop. And I'm like, you just cut her in the arm with the cleaver. What's she going to do, laugh? <laughs> telling so, me to calm down
0: <laughs> you know I, I don't really have a ton of criticisms to this movie i really don't but i do right here if and this is just it, it's only because i'm a parent mm-hmm. if one of our children was missing and then somebody comes in and they're covered in blood and holding a cleaver and i think they did it and your dog's head's been cut off you're gonna have to do more than cut my arm to get me to stop yeah <laughs> That's going to be some Spartacus shit right there. You know what I like, thought of? We're going to the end.
1: You know what I thought of that scene in Con Air where they fire a gun and hit Nicholas Cage like in the arm, and he just like doesn't even blink. He just walks right through it. I'm afraid that's how I See, would. I think be. I'd
0: be more like Blaine. <laughs> Ain't got time to bleed. <laughs> Which is so like you don't have to have time for it. It's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You just keep doing what you're doing, you'll bleed anyway. I don't know, but it was cool. <laughs> but yeah, as a parent, I just I don't know. Like she gave up real quick. And she did go after her again until the police come in and she puts the cleaver down. Yeah. So once the police start to take Helen into custody, now she's going after her again now that there's a room full of cops there. I don't right. I don't know.
1: And it's a circus. There's like SWAT teams there, there's like helicopters like over the place. It's insane the amount of people that showed up for one person.
0: Well, and this is something that I find interesting. About this, is that the whole thing about the murder with Ruthie Jean is that they called 911 and they called 911 and nobody would show up. Somebody calls 911 from the same building, literally what four doors down from what happened to Ruthie Jean, Mm -hmm. and they send the entire police force. There's this damn helicopter. Yeah. So
1: maybe they were like, oh, that white woman must be in trouble again.
0: (laughs) Well, at this point anne didn't know it was her. Yeah. Didn't know she was even in the house or in the right. apartment. So, I don't know. That, that This response in the movie is not consistent with the response that they claimed that they got earlier on. Yeah. That's my bitch about that.
1: <laughs> so, now we're in the police station and Helen is having to do a strip search. And this woman was like, no empathy at all. She was just very brass tacks, like, you know.
0: <laughs> so, did you know that the person who plays the guard...
1: Rusty Shrimmer, Yeah, it love her. It was
0: not the original one necessarily that was cast. Virginia Manson requested her because they were friends and she felt more comfortable getting naked basically oh, yeah. in front of somebody she knew.
1: Although, I, I, to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever gotten naked in front of any of my best friends. Have you? No. <laughs> I don't no. guess you guys do that, but No. <laughs> anyway, so she's begging for a shower because she is just completely soaked in blood and it would feel horribly degrading. And I can't imagine how vulnerable you would feel to be having to lift up your breasts. And, you know, that's probably only the tip of what they actually forced her to do. There was well, probably some bending over she there. She was an
0: intake. So there was a <laughs> bend over say, ah moment. Yeah. Because <laughs> she asked her right before the, you know, the camera cuts away to take her panties off Mm -hmm. so yeah
1: and i think at this point she still doesn't understand the severity of what has happened because she's sitting in in a interrogation room now and detective valenta walks in and immediately she's like frank like oh it's gonna be all better now because this is my friend like
0: you've met one time
1: exactly. And this Detective Valento is not the smiling, kind Detective Valento we had in scene previous. He is very cold and clinical to her. And he's basically basically going after...
0: Well, he's asking her, do you understand that you're under arrest? And she immediately goes, you don't understand. So instead of just answering the questions, she starts trying to explain her way out of it. At least that's what I took from Mm -hmm. it. So he asks her again. And again, instead of just answering, yes, I understand that I'm under arrest... She again tries, but you don't understand.
1: But she finally does give in and say yes. So at that point, he recounts what happened in that apartment. Then he asks her, "Where's the baby?" And she says, "I don't know." And they're like, "You're sick." And I'm like, eh, "Okay." But uh, then he had then asks her if she wants legal counsel, and she's just sitting there. And he get, oh man, it's <laughs> it's almost kind of scary itself. He just yes or no, <laughs> and. She, you know, she kind of jumps at that. And she's just like, I'd like my phone call now, please. (laughs) So we see her trying to call Trevor, but the answering machine picks up. And it's obviously very late at night and there's nobody home. And so she kind of has that, you know, that look about her like, okay, what's going on? And so she asks the guard, what time is it? And she says it's 3am, which to be fair, he could have been asleep and slept through the phone. But we know Trevor. We know he's out fucking around. So we, in Ruthie Jean's apartment, Candyman's lair. And guys, I just realized I have fucked up so much because I think that I have been referring to Anne Marie as Ruthie Jean for several minutes now. <laughs> and I am so sorry. I think it's because they got two first names. So I'm getting confused here.
0: Like Ricky Bobby.
1: <laughs> Forgive me. Two first names. Forgive me, please. I'm so sorry. I'm going to try to get that right from now on. But in Ruthie Jean's apartment or Candyman's lair, as it is now, we see that Candyman is the one who has baby Anthony. And we see Anne-Marie again crying in front of his crib and rips her hair out. Like... Oh, that gets me every time. That's so bad. Trevor and his attorney finally show up to bail Helen out of jail or pick her up. And there's absolutely a media circus there surrounding them. They're having to cover Helen with a coat and try to get her out of that. And then we're back in their apartment where the three of them are sitting and watching the media coverage over what's happened. And Trevor says, well, at least they didn't use your name. At least there's that. And it's like, bitch, they didn't use your name. Like, let's be honest is here. You didn't want this embarrassment for yourself. So he's just the worst. But the attorney says they haven't charged her yet because they think that they'll find the baby's body and what they're going after is murder one. And so he's asking her, like, can you tell us anything about what happened? And she tries to give her so- her side of the story saying, look, I don't know. I don't know how I got there. I just woke up and I was covered in blood. I don't I don't know. And Trevor's kind of looking at her like bullshit.
0: Like, I really don't believe you. I don't understand why she didn't make some shit up. Seriously. Like, I got ambushed by some guy in the parking garage, and that's where I woke up. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't have been totally false. She could leave out the whole supernatural part, but at least it would have been something. Yeah. It's better than, oh, I don't know. Bitch, you're accused of kidnapping and they're wanting to go for murder. Better come up with something.
1: Yeah. I don't know. So, Helen's had a hell of a couple of days and she has earned earned a bath. So, she's in there. She's in the bathroom taking a bath. And Trevor walks in with the... I've got to go back to work excuse, which again, we know where he's going. And so she takes the time to ask him, where were you last night? And he's like, Oh, I was here, but I was asleep. I thought you were out with Bernadette. And I'm like, okay, I'm married. I don't still go out and hang out with my friends at three o'clock in the morning. I mean, I don't, I'm, maybe that's just me. But if I were her, I'd be like, nah.
0: <laughs> so. More like he was out with his friend.
1: Right. He was, he was with his coleslaw.
0: <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> Anyway, let it go.
1: after she gets out of the tub, she's going through the slides of the photos that she took from before, and in one of the photos, she notices something. It, it's a picture of her in front of a mirror taking a picture, and she notices behind her that there's a figure. So she starts messing with the machine and tweaking the focus and stuff and realizes that Candyman is standing right behind her. So she's like, all right, I'm done. (laughs) So she lets the light back in and turns the, you know, stops looking at the photos. And she's sitting for a couple of minutes and goes to the bathroom and she starts to look in the mirror and she opens up the bathroom cabinet and, you know, there's obviously nothing there. And so she kind of breathes a sigh of relief for a second when all of a sudden it's hook comes flying out of the medicine cabinet and she of course starts running and grabs a knife and he's in the middle of the hallway and he says believe in me and he tells her that if he allows her him to take her that baby Anthony will be spared and she's sitting in the floor at this point and he takes his hook and drags it up behind her ear cutting her or about that time Bernadette shows up with flowers she's obviously a good friend and maybe she's giving her the benefit of the doubt and doesn't believe what's happening or maybe she does but she's just there to support her you know because she obviously needs everybody she can get at this point point. and so bernie knocks on the door and um she's telling her hey i'm here and helen does the thing that happens so often in my nightmares where she's wanting to call to her or say something but for some reason the words just can't come out of her mouth loudly enough but she does finally manage to croak like leave go get out of here he's here and Bernadette goes into the apartment anyway obviously because she's afraid of you know something's happening to her and right as Bernadette goes in she sees Candyman standing there staring at her and the next thing we hear is is basically him gutting her. And it sounds so brutal that even though it doesn't show anything, it's really hard to watch because, you know, we're just not used to... I mean, I'm I'm guessing killing somebody, there's a fair amount of work (laughs) that has to go in actually stabbing somebody. And I just thought that they played that off as more
0: realistic. Especially with a hook. Yeah. And they had that hook made. Mm-hmm. So when we first saw this and you know, you get your first close-up of the hook, I thought, that's kind of a weird-looking hook. That doesn't look like a meat hook. It doesn't look like an ice hook. It doesn't uh-huh. look like anything I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. A hay hook. But that's because they had it made. Mm-hmm. And they almost didn't get it. So they had contracted a blacksmith to make that hook. I don't know if you had read this part or not, but apparently the guy had made the hook and it was ready. But he was a devout Christian. Mm-hmm. And when he found out it was attached to a Clive Barker film, because that's how they had it labeled, mm-hmm. he didn't want to give it to him. So somehow they got it eventually in the end. Mm-hmm. But that's the reason it doesn't look like any of the other hooks you see in this movie.
1: See, for me, if somebody was like, you're going to make this for a Clive Barker film, I'd be like, fuck Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. I'd say dollar signs.
1: Just, just me. Well, no, it has nothing to do with dollar signs. It has everything to do with Clive Barker, my horror hero. So. For me, it would be the dollar signs
0: <laughs> and that check every year.
1: <laughs> anyway, so Trevor shows up and we're in the same situation as we were in Anne Marie's apartment where Helen is sitting there covered in blood holding a weapon. So it doesn't look good. And... I guess she passes out because she wakes up and she's getting injected with something and she's handcuffed. And she tries struggling to get up and find out what's going on and enters the room and sees Bernadette's dead body. And she's obviously very upset, which... Seems to me like should have told the people around there something. Because don't most people who kill people look photos and not have a reaction to him?
0: Well, it told them that she was crazy, (laughs) apparently.
1: Yeah. And I find this scene so sad because they're, they're obviously fixing to take her away. And she's just begging Trevor to just hold her. And it's really heartbreaking because she's going through so much. And whether or not we agree that she earned everything she got, it's still really sad. You know, because we know that she didn't mean or want for any of this to happen. But she's riding in the car, I guess, to go to psychiatric hospital and she's sitting there in the car praying please don't let him kill the baby which again is is so sad and we get to the to the hospital and she's being wheeled on her gurney and Trevor's beside her holding her hand but for like half a minute and the dude's like well gotta get on got things to do (laughs) so she ends up off by herself and she's rolled onto and then strapped to a bed and she's screaming you know don't leave me alone I can't defend myself which Oh my God, she should have won all of the awards because her performance in this scene is just, it's, so heartbreaking and so visceral. She's just screaming with everything that she has and you really believe it and it's it's scary. You know that this thing is happening, but no one around you believes you. It's just, I can't imagine a more terrifying thing to be going through. And then we see Candyman appear and he's hovering over the bed, floating down to her. And he's saying, allow me a kiss, one exquisite kiss. And she starts screaming, murderer over and over and over.
0: So was it Just me, that overhead shot. Uh Uh-huh. In the very beginning, you get the overhead shot flying over the highway, and obviously you're from, like, midway up these giant buildings... And then later you get an overhead shot of her driving in her car, but it's a little bit closer. And then the overhead shot of the school. And it's hard to tell because of the scale of the building, but you get the feeling that it's a little bit closer. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Candyman was the camera. Mm-hmm. And as she got closer to the real thing, he was getting closer to her.
1: That's interesting.
0: And then in the room, when he appears again, the next overhead shot is him floating above her.
1: I'm going to have to go back and rewatch that. That's that's really interesting. i maybe off,
0: but it feels like after every overhead shot, there's a major change. Mm-hmm. And then this right so, anyway
1: anyway so the doctors bust in and she's trying to tell them that he's under the bed and they just dope her up again and from there we go back to Candyman's lair and it looked to me because there's a part where he puts his finger in baby Anthony's mouth and he's sucking something off of his finger. But it looked to me in the shot like he just barely grazed his finger over the bloody sleeve of his coat and was feeding the baby blood. I I don't know if that's just me, but that's what it looked like.
0: Well, bees are a recurring theme in this movie, so I'm going to vote for honey. (laughs) Because it's less disgusting.
1: So we're back in the hospital and these orderlies show up to take Helen to see, I guess, her psychiatrist. One of them's pretty douchey. But she gets to Dr. Burke's office and from there he tells her basically, like, she's been there for a month. And that's hard to believe because it for us it doesn't feel like any time at all. Like she just got there. And... He tells her that they're trying to assess her ability to stand trial and that he's actually working for her defense. And so he starts questioning her about the night that Bernadette died. And he says, the night that we admitted you, did the killer appear to you? And he plays back the video of the night she was admitted. Only we don't see Candyman, obviously, hovering over her bed. But... I don't know why anybody would, you know, it it doesn't make sense to me that she's shocked that she can't see him. I would be like, oh, right, that figures. So she starts to tell him, look, I'm not capable of murder. I can never do that to, you know, there's nothing inside me that is capable of that and I can prove it. And so he seems very intrigued and he's like, how? And she's like, well, I'll call him. So she looks over to the reflection of the medicine cabinet in his office and says, Candyman five times and nothing happens there for a second so you're thinking oh right okay so yeah she's gonna look completely nuts. This is the
0: part where they look under the kid's bed and there's no monster.
1: Right so right is you know again we're relaxing through the chest of this doctor busts the hook and the hook moves up till it gets to his throat so he slices him all the way the fuck up and then he Candyman goes over and he cuts her restraints with the hook and then proceeds to fly out of the window. So And you can see the wires
0: (laughs) where they yanked him out the window.
1: (laughs) So Helen can hear that there's people trying to check out what's going on. So she quickly escapes out of the window and through a little bit of tense few minutes, she finally escapes the hospital because of wearing another nurse's clothes. The next thing we see is that Helen goes to her apartment and it is being painted pink. So... I would kill a bitch for painting my house pink, I'll start with that. I don't even paint Isabel's room pink like
0: <laughs> When we first got together before we kids you painted a room pink.
1: Not that pink like that. It was like that soft
0: pink is pink.
1: Baby girl pink, you not fucking a room pink. ass pink. Like PG's blood pink. Like no way. <laughs> So, she tells- she sees Stacy painting the walls and she tells her, get out of my house. And that was cracks me up because she's just like, like, it's the funniest damn reaction I've ever seen. For me, personally- I would not have given her the opportunity to just get out. She was
0: very calm about it.
1: I'd be taking a bitch's paint roller away and beating her to death with it. I'm just saying. (laughs) But Trevor comes in. is like, oh, what's the matter, baby? So the jig is up finally. I think Helen probably suspected from the very beginning. But now she has tangible proof that he's been stepping out
0: on her. Too little too late, though. Because it's over for her.
1: Yeah. And of course, Trevor's petrified like this bitch crazy and at this point Virginia Madsen's playing it like she's completely cracked like she looks crazy she's giving us like the Michael Keaton eyes and everything (laughs) so um she asked Trevor what's the matter scared of something and she's trying to kind of talk to him but you can see that he's inching for the phone a little bit inch by inch trying. and she catches him and she's like go on call him call him and tries handing the phone over to Stacy, who of course is just sitting there in a puddle of tears. Just, you know, and I'm like, bitch, you earned this. Like, what did you think was going to happen going after a married man? Like, what the hell? But she won't take the phone and she just sit there shaking her head and like, no, no, I don't want to. And again, very heartbreakingly, Helen tells Trevor you were all that I had and that is so sad because yeah at this point she literally has nobody left and she tells him that it's over which should have been a long damn time ago in my opinion but she leaves and they immediately go for the phone. So she's standing at a bridge now and she hears Candyman's voice in her head. He says they will all abandon you. All you have left is my desire for you and I'm going to point out that from this moment on, maybe it's just my weird twisted ass, but I am a big sucker for dark love stories. I don't like just love stories on their own. That's not my thing, but if you have like something dark, uh, one of my favorites, of course, being Hellraiser, I find that a very dark, tragic love story. And there's no difference in this.
0: There's something very Dracula Mm -hmm. about this, like Dracula and how he kept going back to Mina, you know, Mm -hmm. in uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula, which came out somewhere around the same time. Another one of
1: my favorites.
0: Yeah, it's like he was channeling Gary Oldman. Yeah, my boyfriend. <laughs> but I get that a little bit, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. So she returns to the lair and she grabs a hook that's hanging on a chain. And she makes her way into a room with murals painted on it. And this it sets up a, a scene or tableau or whatever that is basically telling the story about what happened to Daniel Robotai. And she looks over and she finds him asleep.
0: <laughs> Why the hell is he sleeping? <laughs>
1: I don't know.
0: He's a ghost.
1: <laughs> There's a lot do of things. Do ghosts have to
0: take naps?
1: <laughs> There's a lot of things he does in this movie that don't make any sense.
0: Like, is he just staying in the corporeal realm and having a nap because he's got to take care of the baby and feed it
1: Okay, honey so... off his
0: finger or something?
1: <laughs> so, me and London, we were watching the movie Ghost a few nights ago.
0: God, why would you do that to her? <laughs>
1: She wanted to see it. I like that movie. Anyway, but she pointed out, she's like, okay, he's struggling to touch things and go through things. How's he sitting in a chair or how's he sitting on a bench in the subway? How's he sitting in a chair in the hospital? How are his feet even touching the floor? And I went, holy shit. I never even thought of that. See, that
0: movie just broke.
1: (laughs) You're just scared of those demon things.
0: (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> it's just a lame movie.
1: Anyway, so she creeps up on him and she stabs him in the chest with the hook. And this part always gets me because he wakes up and he sits up and he's like, Helen, you came. And he has a tear rolling down his face and he's smiling like like it truly means something to him that she's there, even though she just tried to stab him. But it's just... Again, that's what I was talking about earlier. These little nuances in his performance where it's just like he added so many things that I'm sure he wasn't given direction to do. But that's just his own flavor as an actor. And I thought that was really wonderful. Did you notice
0: when he pulled the hook out? like One little squirt of blood.
1: Oh, yeah. And that was it. (laughs) She decides to go ahead and surrender to him because at this point, what else does she have to lose? She's got nobody left. And he tells her that she has nothing to be afraid of. That, yes, the pain will be exc- excruciating, but that they will get to be legend and be immortal, live forever.
0: He says the pain will be exquisite.
1: Yes, which, oh my very, God. Very, very Yes, I was going to say very Clive Barker, so, <laughs> which is appropriate. He opens his coat... Revealing bees all in his rib or his chest cavity. And there are bees also all in his mouth. And he goes in and he leans in for a kiss. And she's, of course, screaming. She's got bees all over her, too, at this point. It, but she passes out. And he goes and he grabs baby Anthony, carrying him off, saying, It's time for a new miracle. So Helen wakes up and she sees she's walking around that room around the murals. And then she comes across one wall that has written on it, it was always you, Helen. Which I thought, what? You know, first time seeing this and stuff. I thought that was strange. And she goes over to look at the painting and there's a woman painted on there who obviously has a striking resemblance to her. And I guess we as an audience, it's heavily, heavily implied that she is some kind of reincarnation of the woman that he fell in love with.
0: But to be clear, they never say that. Not in this movie.
1: Yeah. They don't say it, but it's very heavily implied, which... I guess, is part of his obsession with her.
0: Or just that she resembles his former love enough that it causes this obsession for him. Mm-hmm. That and he wants revenge because she was trying to bust his story.
1: So she hears Anthony crying and it's coming from the pyre outside that they've used or make, made for this bonfire. And Helen goes in and starts... You know, she grabs the hook and she's going after this pyre. Meanwhile, uh, Jake hears the commotion going on outside and goes to his window to see what's happening. And as Helen is going inside this pile of stuff, all Jake sees is a hook descending into the pile and he says, he's here. So he goes and he gathers a bunch of residents and they're obviously fixing to go light the thing up. And Helen is in there desperately trying to find the baby as they're dumping gasoline onto the pyre and this part almost not quite but almost makes me cry because she's feeling this wave of relief that she's found the baby and she's going to save him and she doesn't know that outside they're setting up to kill her and so that part always hurts my heart. And then Candyman shows up right behind her. He puts a hand over her mouth so that she can't scream, but she manages to be able to scream anyway and starts screaming at the people to help her, help her, help her, help her. And then she manages to find a piece of wood that's on fire and stab him with it and grabs the baby and is trying to get the F out. And a board. A flaming board falls on top of her back, setting her on fire. So you're like, oh shit, oh shit. And you're hoping, you're just hoping that she's going to get out. And she does finally manage to get out. And it seems that the baby is unharmed. So she has guarded this baby against being burned too. And she manages to get him out and is handed back to Anne-Marie, who is, of course, elated that she's gotten her baby back. But Helen is fucked.
0: She looks like Freddy Krueger.
1: Like her head is toe up and she's laying there obviously relieved that the baby got back to his mother, but she's obviously dying. And so the next thing we go to is her funeral, and there's no turnout for this funeral at all, which is really sad. She had
0: no friends. Yeah. Well, she had one, and well, she got chopped up by Candyman.
1: Yeah, which again makes it all the more sad that she really had nobody in this whole thing. So there were only four people at her funeral, and it was Trevor, and that dick had the nerve to bring Stacy with him, Purcell, and their attorney, were the only people that showed up to her funeral. And of course, Trevor's pulling Oh, poor me, I'm widowed routine. And all of a sudden, all of the residents of Cabrini Green show up led by Anne-Marie, Anthony, and Jake, who's looking very dapper, by the way, (laughs) this little bow tie, to pay their respects to her. And Jake takes the hook that I guess He went through the rubble and found and dropped the hook down into her plot.
0: Yeah, and what I find interesting is that it was not the hook that she took in with her. The one that she grabbed and took in with her to, I don't know, fight Candyman off, like hook-on-hook warfare or whatever, was like an ice hook. Mm -hmm. The one that he dropped in the grave was Candyman's hook.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, there there was a scene as Candyman's burning in the pyre and Jake's looking at him all like, yeah, we got you, fucker, and stuff. It showed that there was a body burning so, did. I mean, but there when, were bees that descended, yeah, ascended out of the pile
0: and sparks come out, but there was making bee noises Yeah, when it came out. So he was a ghost. Yeah. So how did he burn up? Maybe. Why does he need to take naps? I don't, <laughs> I know, don't, I don't, know. I don't know.
1: But I, I always took from it that those bees that came out of the fire were basically him, you know, his spirit. I guess. But anyway, we cut to, and it doesn't say how long after the funeral this is, but we cut to Trevor in his apartment and he's basically been sitting and crying and feeling sorry for himself. And, Oh yeah, my wife was so great. And he even has a flashback to the time that she was making him dinner and stuff after she had gotten all busted up. And, and it's like, that's what you took away from your marriage with her. Oh, right. She made me dinner once. Like,
0: well, and it goes back and forth between that flashback and his current girlfriend mm-hmm. attempting to make dinner. Filthy tart. And looks like she's probably not very good at it. <laughs> They're definitely not on the same level, that's for sure.
1: And her desperate attempt to try to get his attention always blows my mind, too. That she's wearing this thin as shit shirt with her fucking nipples ablaze. I don't know. Maybe that was an excuse to get some TNA in the movie, but I subscribed to she was obviously trying to get his attention by walking around like that. And she's not getting the reaction that she wants. Obviously, so she's being a fucking child and slinging steak or meat, whatever that is. She's cutting up around, and she's trying to desperately to get him involved. And she's like, "You know, at least help me with the salad." And he's like, "Whatever, fine, I'll be there in a minute." And so he goes to the mirror and he says "Helen" three times, and he turns off the light and says "Helen" for a fourth time. Now, guys. Everybody I've listened to says he said Helen's name five times. We counted. He only said it four times. I
0: only got four times.
1: Yes. And then Helen you shows You think she up. cares about
0: one? I don't think so. I think <laughs> Helen's like, fuck you, dude. Don't care how many times you say it. I'm coming for you.
1: So this is probably one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And Travis is probably not going to let me sleep in bed with him tonight. <laughs> But she repeats the line, what's the matter Trevor, scared of something, and she takes the hook and absolutely guts his ass. And the part that I love about it, other than him getting killed, is the extreme look of ecstasy on her face as she's doing it. It's full on orgasmic looking to her. She
0: is thoroughly enjoying herself.
1: Yes, and Stacy, I guess, has heard the commotion and walks in and she, stupid ass. It's been done through this whole movie, but she walks in holding a knife.
0: <laughs> well, she walks in holding the knife that she was using to cut up the meat. Yeah. I don't do that. Do you do that? No. Like if I'm cutting something up and I've got the knife in my hand, I set the knife down and I go, look.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I, I guess if I'm going to threaten you, maybe, I don't know. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I just, I don't understand why everybody in this, they don't, just put the knife down, you're in the kitchen, you don't carry it to the bathroom with you, do you?
1: Yeah, so she sees Trevor's body in the bathtub, cut the hell up, and starts screaming, I guess as you would. I'd be like, bye Felicia, shut the door and roll on. But she's standing there screaming, and that's where our movie ends. And behind the credits, we see that a new mural exists of Helen... I get, I, in my opinion portrayed as a
0: savior almost kind of like a phoenix rising from yeah
1: the it looks very angelic and her hair is ablaze and it's really a, a beautiful painting but that's the end of the movie so travis what do you think about this one
0: i like this movie score's good acting's good other than him taking a nap i really don't have any complaints <laughs> You know, yeah. The few reviews that we looked at that were done by other people, I'll try to read something into it. But I didn't get that from this movie. Mm -hmm. I felt like it was a pretty straightforward story, Mm -hmm. and seems like everybody who deserved to get something got it.
1: Mm -hmm. Right.
0: All the loose ends got tied up. I'm happy. Yeah. Good with it. How about you?
1: I love this movie so much. It's probably in my top five as best horror films of all time. I don't think it gets the credit that it deserves. There's a lot to be said in this movie. Like you said, the score is absolutely amazing. The acting is tremendous. I'm a very empathetic person and so a thing that always gets me with these types of movies is I always place myself in the character's shoes And so there's a lot of things in this movie that uh, really, really hurt my heart. And it's so haunting. And it's one of those movies that after you've watched it, it sticks with you. And I guess that's a good segue into the sequel. Because I had almost the same exact reaction to that film as I had to this film. But if you've never seen the original Candyman my god, what have you been waiting on? It's so fucking good. They just, to me, they don't, like, like I said, I hate that they want to lump him into the same category as our uh, more popular slashers because that he is not at all. He is such a tragic figure and it's, it's not, it's not really, he's still not a person you root for by any means, you know, like the way you do with Freddy and Jason where you're just waiting for them to cut the next person up. This is really a story that, really engages you. And I don't know, I can't think of anything really like it that gives me that kind of reaction. Like I said, up until this recent one.
0: So we're going to talk about that one (laughs) in a non-spoilery kind of way.
1: (laughs) It's going to be so damn hard not to spoil it. Well,
0: (laughs) I don't know. I guess the first thing I would say is that if you haven't seen the original and you haven't seen the new one, go watch the original first.
1: Yes, absolutely. Do not so go into this movie without giving shit away. Yeah. You
0: really need to have seen the first one before you watch the absolutely. second.
1: Absolutely. I've heard some people say, "Oh no, you don't have to." Yes, you absolutely and have
0: to. We heard the new one referred to as a reboot. It is not. I've heard some people <sighs> refer to it as a spiritual sequel, whatever the fuck that is. Or
1: a remake.
0: It's it's not a reboot. It's not a remake. And it's not a spiritual sequel. It's a straight up sequel. It's
1: a direct sequel, guys.
0: And there are elements of it that will not make sense unless you've watched the first one. Yes. So that's going to be step one. Watch the original first. Yes. The next one, I guess I would say from other reviews that we've seen and heard, kind of go into it with an open mind. Mm-hmm. There's some pretty powerful imagery in there. There's mm-hmm. some stuff that you're really going to have to think about. -hmm. I really enjoyed it. Other people may not. I can respect that they don't like it or that it's not for them. That's fine. But we've we've seen people get straight up hateful about this movie, Mm -hmm. and not just as far as going and attacking the movie itself, but moving on to attacking Jordan Peele for making it, Mm -hmm. which I think is completely unfair. It it does have its issues, uh, but we can talk about that when it gets released, where we can watch it and do the notes. -hmm. I feel like the pacing in it's good. The cinematography in it's good. The acting is pretty good. A couple of characters in there I really liked. I don't know. There's a couple of confusing bits in there. That we'll obviously expand on when we do a full review. But overall, I enjoyed it. I think it's worth a watch. I mean, you may not like it, but it's still worth seeing to me. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want to go spend however much it costs at your local movie theater to see it, it'll show up on, what, on HBO mm-hmm. next month? Yeah,
1: supposedly. And so if you we'll get see. an
0: HBO subscription that costs, what, $5 a month? I
1: think it's maybe 10 This
0: is not a plug for HBO. <laughs> I'm just saying you're already, you're already paying the money. Right. So if you got the HBO at home or whatever the fuck they call that, then you'll be able to watch it there. So did mm-hmm. you save spending $12 on a large soda. Because <laughs> shit, that got expensive.
1: Well, I'm going to disagree with that. I, I understand that we're in time of pandemic, but I would absolutely say support your local theaters because I'm terrified that... The route we're going that's not going to be a thing anymore and for me there's nothing like seeing a movie on a huge screen with people surrounding you and listening to their reactions being in the dark and just com- completely immersed in this world and it doesn't hurt to have the good popcorn and not the shitty box popcorn.
0: <laughs> yeah there's something to be said for seeing a movie in a theater and i i agree i would hate to see movie theaters go away although during this time a lot of them probably did Mm -hmm. But I don't know. There's, there's some movies that we went to see him at the theater and I'm like, shit, I wish I'd have waited for this to come out on video. (laughs)
1: <laughs> and there's others we've seen on but video that we went oh my god i wish hit, i'd gone to see that in the theater.
0: damn i missed it yeah right? like we went to see the avengers in the theater and i can't imagine not having ever seen it on the big <sighs> screen
1: especially endgame oh my gosh you
0: so you'd miss a lot if you'd only ever seen it at home i think yeah not not the movie you're gonna see the movie regardless but you miss the experience when endgame, and there's some really interesting shots in the new Candyman because that's what we're talking about they're kind of worth seeing on a big screen
1: yeah when endgame came out I can't even fathom trying to have waited for that movie. We had a packed house, and it was such an amazing experience to be sitting there, and everybody was crying and cheering and laughing in unison. It was just, it was amazing. But not talking. But not talking.
0: Because that irritates the shit out of me (laughs) when people talk through a movie. I'm going to throw popcorn at you.
1: And that was... That's an experience I wish I could relive over and over and over. If there was a movie I could erase from my memory and go back and redo, it would be that one. So I know a lot of people don't agree with me, but that's... My movies of all time, not just one genre, that's got to be in my top five easily. But guys, I loved this sequel so much. I ended up going and seeing it twice on opening day well first of all our teenagers got really pissed off at us that they didn't get to go cuz they had wanted to see it really bad too I mean like myself these my kids have been raised on this stuff so they were like oh my god you guys went without us and so I looked at Travis like hey and he's like well go back I don't care like take the kids back so we went for a second time later that night. And I wanted to so bad because I wanted to watch it again after the first viewing. I had, I had a reaction to this movie, guys. My heart was pounding in my chest long after the credits stopped. I was just, I was nervous and very upset because the movie has a lot to say. And I would say that if you're easily offended, this ain't for you. But if you're not, and like Travis said, you can keep an open mind and realize that as a society throughout history, we've been a shit species. Like, that's no secret, okay? So if you can go in there knowing that and not let every damn little thing piss you off, this movie for me was such a a reward, you know? I'm not going to give anything away about the about people's complaints, because that will give away the well, movie. but
0: there's some of those complaints that we've listened to. And I don't even know if they were watching the same movie that we watched.
1: Exactly.
0: And some of them are like, did you even watch the movie? Yeah. Did you get up and go take a piss and get more popcorn and get a drink and stand in the lobby for 45 minutes and miss half the movie, and now you're going to do a review on it? Right. Because some of them, they, I don't know. They're like, I, I don't see can... how these things go together. I'm like, well, psh-
1: I think we can talk about <laughs> this without spoiling the movie. Guys, this film's not woke okay? That is the biggest fucking complaint that I have heard from day one. Everybody is bitching that the film is woke. It's like, have you seen the original where they cover gentrification and the struggle that this community is going through and just what it means to be in this life? Like, mm, that was a huge part of the original. I mean, a black man was killed for loving a woman outside his race. That they talk about gentrification, as far as Helen's building that she is living in now. These things were touched on, guys. Like it's not. It didn't come out of left field. And I've heard people say, "Oh, well, it was more nuanced." Um, no, it wasn't. no, <laughs> it's outright said. <clears throat> Helen says. A black woman gets killed, nobody does anything, but a white woman gets killed and suddenly it's a big deal. They spell it out for you. There's no nuance about it. So I don't know what movie you were watching, but I'm going to have to... Politely disagree with well, you. Well, in
0: the original, they just say it, right? They make the statement, and they move on. They don't. I, I don't feel like they were heavy-handed with it in the first one, and and I'm good with that, right? Like I'm not a. I don't need a movie to beat me over the head with the same point for an hour and a half. that will irritate the shit out of me if they do that. This one doesn't do that. The first one doesn't do that. I feel like the sequel doesn't either. Some people have been really offended by it, but I feel like a lot of what you've seen, if if you've seen the first one, the points that they make there, if you get offended by it, well, sorry, but those things really happen. Like not the Candyman ghost. Revenger, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) But the whole gentrification thing and the way that the authorities have managed we'll say crime and projects yeah that's real stuff that's happened so if you mean, can't i mean hell where was that? that north
1: carolina or virginia or whatever those douchebags were going and picketing and wearing their kkk garb. this is this is real shit yeah. guys it and still so it fucking happens i
0: feel like the, the the sequel's not it doesn't just beat you over the head with it some people take it that way but i didn't i didn't so yeah oh be open-minded when you go watch it yeah and you should still go watch it, it
1: it's, it's an excellent movie. So- but
0: pay attention, for real. Like, get your drink up front. <laughs> get your popcorn up front. If you run out of popcorn, you run out of drink, you're shit out of luck. Don't get up and leave. Because it is a movie you need to pay attention. You need to see what's going on. Because literally, that five-minute trip potty break. You miss something, you come back. I don't know what's going on anymore. Or you miss something that's really important. Mm-hmm. So pay attention. Stay awake.
1: <laughs> so for me, I loved the cinematography. I loved the score. I loved the way they did uh, certain aspects of the storytelling. I, I won't give that away.
0: Our... You really want to do a spoiler review. <laughs> like, I <know laughs> really you do. do.
1: I thought our leads... In this film, were terrific. Um, For me, Yahya Abdul Mateen II was tremendous. I don't know that it really gets any better than that in a horror film lately. I mean, unless you want to talk about our lead in in Get Out or our leads in Us, but horror movies are starting to get taken more seriously now. I feel like there's been a lot of good shit come out by Robert Eggers, Ari Aster, where people are taking the genre seriously now as well. It's about fucking time right? So the performances in this movie, I thought were, they just blew it out of out of the water, hit it out of the park. Yaya was magnetic. Like I was drawn to him as a character. And I cried on two different parts in this movie based off of his performance alone. He did such a great job. I got... We walked out of the theater and I'm looking at Travis like, oh my God, that fucking hit me like a ton of bricks. Like I, I, you know, maybe I'm overreacting, you know, maybe that was just a knee jerk reaction. But I, you know, I went back, like I said, the second time to watch it. And I was just like, it was the same thing over again. And I don't know, guys, it just I don't know, it blew me away. It really did. So I would say stop listening to the hype and the negative reviews. Keep All of that out of, you know, don't let that influence your decision. Go in, watch a movie, and really think about what you're watching. And don't just base it off of, well, it's cool to hate Nickelback, so I'm going to hate Nickelback too. I do hate Nickelback for the record though. (laughs) But yeah, please go support uh, movie theaters. Support our filmmakers. To me, this is such an important film and I cannot wait to to watch it again so all that being said guys i think we told you um last week what our plan was for the rest of the month and on into october so i guess we'll finish this out with our content creator of the week
0: hey what are we doing next week
1: oh shit Good catch. (laughs) So next week, we are going to cover uh, Event Horizon. Almost Hellraiser-ish, again. There's a lot of parallels in that. Yeah, it's not
0: Clive Barker.
1: Hellraiser in space. <laughs> yeah, well, they not, did well that. the good one, not the bad they, one. <laughs>
0: they did Hellraiser in space,
1: <laughs> but this one's a better one, <laughs> better but execution.
0: It's not. This is not a Clive Barker story. No, but it but seems
1: heavily influenced it could by be. it. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, but and it
0: stars Sam Neill,
1: yeah, and
0: Doctor Alan Grant,
1: and Furious Styles Only himself, Lawrence Trishburn,
0: dinosaurs and shit in this one. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So anyway, I'm trying
0: to talk you into doing Lord of Illusions at some point.
1: We'll get there for sure. I, I'm sure at some point we, were, we will cover every Clive Barker movie. So what is this for us? Is this our second one we've done?
0: I don't know. You're going to count. You're going to count. You're counting Candyman as a Clive Barker. Yes. Even though like half of it's Clive Barker.
1: Yes. My yeah. friends over at the Hellraiser podcast they covered Candyman too. Okay. Just because it's it's well loosely. But it's based off then of I his work. And I guess we'll call it too. <laughs> so anyway, if Travis will stop interrupting me. <laughs> <Dude. laughs> On to our content creator of the week. Which I have been listening to these guys for probably a decade now. At least. And this time they're not YouTube content creators. They're a podcast. And these guys are... In a network called the Nerdpocalypse Network, they are called uh, Black on Black Cinema. Now, you can find videos on YouTube of their various channels. There's um, Black on Black Cinema, obviously, and then there's the Nerdpocalypse, where they talk about all things comic book related. And if you're a premium member, like I am, then you get access to the reviews of 80s and 90s action, which is the sole purpose. I subscribe to them because I love that content. They... Also give a very great in-depth review of Candyman and Tales from the Hood, and so please, you 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 want a different spin on it than what <laughs> we gave you?
0: So we we need to check give, them out. We need to give a disclaimer <laughs> if we're going to pitch that one. So these these guys, it's well, it's it's mostly Jay and Micah. Uh Right. And then they have a third on there. Sometimes it's Terrence. Sometimes it's somebody else. But these guys have very strong opinions about things. And they voice them freely. Sometimes graphically. So if you are easily offended, it is not the show for you.
1: Absolutely not. But I am not easily offended. And I think that these guys are great. They're fucking hilarious. And yeah, they don't pull any punches, which is refreshing. You know, they're not worried about stepping on anybody's toes. And I... Happen to love that. So if you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, or like I said, you can check them out on YouTube. They've they've got their live podcast feeds up. Go check them out. So anyway, that does it for us, guys. We will see you next Friday. Adios.
0: Bye. Hey, Ashley. So what would people do if they're enjoying the show and they want to leave us a review?
1: You'd review the show on your favorite platform, but that's just me. But who are you? I'm Spooky Mom 83 You can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm not going to direct you to Facebook because I hate it.
0: <laughs> and I guess that makes me l 80 on Twitter. Just don't expect a lot.
1: Yeah, you're not really big on the social stuff.
0: I'm socially inept. <laughs>
1: That's true. But if you guys want to reach out, tell us what your favorite movie is, got any requests, any questions, stuff like that. You know,
0: they can just stop in and say hi.
1: They can just stop in and say hi. I will say hi. 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 Hello there. (laughs) But seriously, guys, feel free to reach out to us on all of our social media platforms.
0: So they can kind of just stop in for whatever they want.
1: And tell Travis why he's the better of the two, obviously.
0: Please. Please do that. (laughs) Till next time, guys. Later. Bye.